rocking your eardrums back with a bang. It's the State of Combat podcast on CBS Sports with the Brian Campbell coming at you. Mixed martial arts edition. And you know it's a big week when BC starts fired up on this show. UFC 238 on the horizon. We have a loaded show for you. Getting you ready for Saturday's card in Chicago. Big time interviews coming your way with UFC flyweight champion Henry Cejudo. Talking about moving up in weight. Trying to become champ champ this weekend. And women's flyweight champion Valentina Shevchenko. Your boy BC hung out on a rooftop in NYC with the bullet herself. You're going to hear those chats. We're going to look back at UFC Stockholm. Catch you up on all the MMA retirements this week. Wow. Wow. And you better believe prepare you for injection with another lethal dose of that performance enhancing audio usada will not be calling this is the untraceable stuff the good stuff leads you to be wearing a mohawk and hanging out with belfort 2013 it's that kind of stuff fired up to be back it's a new era in mma audio welcome to the machita era no joe not that era no no that was one night all right let me welcome in my angry looking co-host i will one day spar him inside of a boxing ring he wore number 65 on North Boca High's Class 4A 2005 State Championship football team. All district, all the time. It's Brandon Wise. Yeah. Brando, face the pain, bro. BC, you picked an interesting week for us to take off because... You were down here a couple weeks ago. We had a nice little time going to the gym. And then you mysteriously just, you know, vanished from the airwaves from coming on and talking about that. what happened there. I, 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 are you that washed? Well, that I, I think if, you know, this proves that you're a listener to only the MMA edition of the State of Combat podcast because your boy BC was keeping the listeners on the box show up to date. I'm in camp. I'm getting ready. I'm clearing out the. Are you in camp? I'm clearing out the the roadblocks and the pitfalls in my own physical decision making that will that will you know keep me away from being competitive in this fight you know because it's called hashtag Campbell Wise Survive or Die I'm trying to get away from the die part of it but let me welcome in the third man in our team this week you know him as the producer of our show he will be officiating the fight to end all fights before the end of 2019. Mikey Mormile in the house. Big Mike, can I put my trust in your hands that let's say I got some moments where I'm on the ropes, just like Fat Andy Ruiz this weekend, and I got to rally back that you'll protect me? Oh, I'm, I will let, let you guys throw down, but no one will get hurt because we got to keep making this podcast for the fans. That's How true. can you guarantee nobody's going to get hurt? I feel like he's going to pull ahead and trigger something. I didn't guarantee it. I didn't guarantee it. I'm just hoping no one gets hurt. I enjoy doing this podcast with you guys. So, you know, we got to keep it going. Well, Mikey, he's hold on. BC, let me let me get this man up to date on you and your physical conditioning, because BC texts me just about every week now. This is day one. Brian or Brandon. This is day one. I'm getting ready. I'm excited. You need to be ready for this. And this is about the sixth or seventh time he's done this to me. And I just want you to know that he's doing every other thing besides going to the gym and hitting the bag to get ready for this. Well, look, there's there's different levels of day one-ish, right? There's like, hey, day one, mentally I'm in fight mode. Hey, day one, I'm going to stop eating like crap. Hey, day one, I'm going to work out today 
And then the other day I texted you because it was day one of my new 30-day plan. No anything. No sugar. No carbs. No soda. No candy. No ice cream. No baked goods. No fried food. No fast food. BC is back. All right? And what did you eat that night? All right, I broke it on night one, but look, he, <laughs> look, I was covering a fight. Joshua Ruiz, MSG. Sometimes you need a little caffeine to get yourself going, a little sugar in your diet to stay awake. Anyway, here's the deal. I was down at the FTL office, the home office of CBS Sports. B. Wise and I got to hang. After we recorded the MMA pod, I went to your gym, B. Wise, your boxing gym, title boxing, downtown FTL. Had a nice little workout, got a little reminder of what it's like when you have no gas in the tank. Got a little reminder of what it's like. You got a reminder or you got like a death sentence? Uh, Well, I did attempt to throw up in the bathroom, but I did finish (laughs) the job. And, you know, the jab was back. It was crisp. Uppercuts, we got to get some work going on those. But look, I'm back, baby. I'm back, all right? I wanted to show you what it was going to be like at my worst, bro. You're talking about day one-ish? That's actually... The end days, that's the final days of this life before I take it serious and get ready and I'm coming for you, all right? That was, but that was day one two weeks ago and you still haven't gone to the gym. Bro, I was in the pool for an hour, all right, on Sunday, okay? Mm-hmm. I mowed the lawn mm-hmm. last night. I've been moving and shaking, all right? Played basketball last week, doing a little stretching, a little yoga. We're getting ready. Look, did, come after me. I... I'm a man. I'm 40. You don't just roll out of bed and, and spar three rounds with a guy in his physical prime. There's a lot of mental preparation that's going on right now. He's, did I... he's letting you overwork your body so that you're a little little off on fight. Or night. he's just not taking this seriously because I, I did listen to the boxing show last week, by the way, and I heard about your Memorial Day experience where you did nothing but drink and eat all day. That 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 was a setback. That was, but look, look. I mean, look. Sometimes you got to celebrate America. Sometimes you got to celebrate life within this vicious cycle of work. Okay, I'm a busy man. I travel on my days off for other uh, entities. I'm cashing checks, but soon, once I put the blinders on, once I get ready for that race, it's gonna be me. It's gonna be you. Two stallions, two horses, and guess what? Just like in big time horse racing, should you stumble, should you injure yourself? I'm taking you out back and I'm shooting you. All right? I'm going for Why it. Why would you shoot me? All right? I'm going for it. What are you, John McCain? <laughs> okay? You tear an ACL in that ring, I'm finishing you. Just want to let you know that, okay? So keep training hard. Hashtag LoadWatch2019. Don't don't spend it too early, Brandon, okay? That's all I got to say. Be- before we get to, like, the stuff that we need to actually talk about, can we go over the fact that Andy Ruiz gave you some hope this weekend that you can do this? Well, Andy Ruiz, yeah, he gave hope to all the out-of-shape fat people in the world. But here's the thing. I'm not fat. I'm just out of shape. And Andy Ruiz is actually I, in shape. Like, I, yeah. he's actually somebody I look up to. Cardiovascularly, he's he's good. He's just like a big Roy Nelson type dude, you know? But Roy Nelson never was in shape. That's the problem. Well, Roy Nelson, look, was Roy just Nelson a big could go three guy. rounds in an MMA fight. That's a little different than, like, right now I'm more dot of 5,000 than I am anything else, okay? You know, if first guy's heart to stop loses. That's the kind of match I'm entering into right now. But but once I take this crap seriously, once I push a little things out of the way in my life that are holding me back right now, I'm coming, bro, okay? I'm coming. I feel like you're going to have this excuse every week that we talk about this fight. And it's okay because all the Twitter people, they know what's going on. Like that's why nobody's supporting you at this point. Even a former pro boxer is laughing at you on Twitter. No, no, no. Ishe Smith was laughing at you, bro. Oh, okay. That's who he was laughing at, I'm sure. Okay. He saw me compare the, the, 
the video you put up of yourself hitting the bag to that all-time worst Ronda Rousey picture of her punching and snapping her neck as she's doing it and hitting herself in the face with her biceps. Not enough head movement, Edmund. Exactly. BC, do you th- I'm just asking you now. Do you think at this point you could stand if I hit you in the kidney? Well, look. I have because disadvantage- <laughs> that's all I was showing you with that video. I have disadvantage. I'm working on body hooks in this fight, in age, in height, in reach, in size of the fist. I don't know what kind of monstrosity was was created in North Boca, but you've got fists the size of lunch boxes, and that's fine. But guess what? Andy Ruiz's back hit that canvas, but then he got back up. Then he kept coming, and then we found out that the big bad Rolls Royce AJ. Once you pop that tire, right? You know what I'm saying? Once you take you into a little bit of deep waters, that's the fight. The fight ain't in the first three minutes. You can knock me down a couple times. That's fine. But well, then the fight the, starts. The fight is in the first three minutes. The fight's only nine minutes long. <laughs> All right. Now I know I, know I, I have do, a referee who love... has my health concerns at, at, at stake. He, he's invested in me. I'm ready. All right. I do appreciate and love that you just compared me to Anthony Joshua, though. That's that's awesome. That's great. AJ. That means I'm the A side, though. That means I'm the A side here. No, 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 no. I'm the veteran. I'm, uh, the name is on the marquee, but this is for control of the podcast. That's why I had to. I had to step it right back up to this challenge. All right. You can at any point just concede and just let me host the show for one episode, and we'll be done with this. We'll never have to talk about this again. No, we'll set. We'll settle this in the ring. I but what? But the other thing is, I got to see how you train now. I I I. I I know what not to do. You're playing touch butt with that dork in the park. I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, yeah. I'll, also, let, I'll let Q know what you said. No, no, no. Uh, hey, it's five-star <laughs> review season, folks. If you like this show, if you like our banter, if you like our absurdities, if you like our analysis, hey, spread it forward. Spread it thin. Spread it. Spread it. No, don't spread it. <laughs> don't spread it. Uh, just pass it forward, okay, with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, uh, Pandora. Uh, iTunes, J Date, <laughs> Tinder, Farmers Only. Is that your next one? <laughs> uh, untapped. I don't know. Wherever you can find this show and you listen to it, tell us you like it. Tell us what you want to hear. You want more Mikey Mormal on the show? All right, we'll make that happen for you. Thank you. Hey guys, I did mention we have a loaded show for you today. A lot of great interviews, a lot of great sound, a lot of great analysis. But before we hear that, hey, let's hear a word from our friends and sponsors. Dig it. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. And we're back. Brando Wise, Mikey Mormile, and your boy BC coming at you. Fellas, it was a big box weekend as we established with the big Andy Ruiz Jr., Anthony Joshua upset. And I was, by the way, pleasantly surprised. And how much, you know, attention it got. Not just uh, some really bad takes from the mainstream media, which we don't need to dig into. Check out the boxing show with Rafe Bugs if you want more on that. 
But I mean, MMA folk were like front page. This is this is what we want to talk about. And I just love, you know, heavyweight boxing is that gateway drug. When when they do things that matter, it's the number one sport in the world. So that was nice to see. Although we did have a card this weekend, UFC Stockholm with an afternoon start time. That felt good. It's always the best. Whenever we're Eastern European fight times, like when you wake up and the prelims are starting at 10 Eastern, it's like, oh, I can just drink my coffee and eat my cereal while I'm watching fights. That's great. Oh, man. You know, it's like uh, I've been East Coast my whole life, and it's the it's the Pacific Coast people that have it best. They can watch NFL games with breakfast. They can watch an, a four-hour NBA playoff game and then still go out at night for dinner. You know, they can live their life is what I'm saying. But I think – the only time East Coast matters and rules is like what you're saying when we get these European cards and we get them in the afternoon. And uh, this one was pretty damn good. wasn't good on paper. It was one of those that over-delivered just a bit. We had storylines. We had fights. We had people getting sent to hell. In the end, we had a bunch of people jacking from the sport and being like, no, I'm good. I'm done. Uh, and it started at the top with a light heavyweight main event, Stockholm, Sweden, hometown hero Alexander Gustafsson against Anthony Smith. We established the hook. When this fight was first announced, both coming off of losses to John Jones. A lot of question of should Smith have taken this on on three months notice, signed for it two days after getting destroyed by John Jones. He didn't want the fight. He went through with it anyway. Guys, turns out it was Alexander Gustafson who no longer wanted to fight. Does this performance and him getting submitted in the fourth round, subsequently laying down his gloves and retiring at 32, I'm going to be extra cynical on you. Does this performance to do anything to downgrade that John Jones comeback in December when he destroyed Gustafson in that somewhat boring fight? Does it take away from that? Where we were like, oh my God, John Jones is the new Floyd Mayweather. Look at how efficiently he broke Gustafson down and dominated him. Or was that just a half-assed Dustin or Gustafson that wanted out of this sport? I'm going to say that I think this was post-Gustafson getting his soul taken <laughs> and that He's at the point now where once he realized he wasn't on that elite level with John Jones and then he tried to do something again here against Anthony Smith that he was like, oh, crap, I don't got it anymore. Like I can't I can't compete at this level. And to continue to fight would mean that he's going to get hurt and he's worried about himself getting seriously injured. So I think that has more to do with it than anything else, because I remember some rumors around. December about him taking that John Jones fight being about money and that he may or may not have needed to take that fight for the cash, the the payday. And that's why he continued to take the fight even once they moved it from Vegas to L.A. So to me, UFC going to Stockholm was one final cash out for him. One last chance to be in front of his hometown fans, get a hopefully get a win and then walk off into the sunset. I feel like he was walking off either way, B.C., I don't think he was going to keep fighting after this, even if he beat Anthony Smith. Yeah, I think you're right in hindsight. And here's the deal. Uh, Gus just didn't have it. The first two rounds, he almost didn't try. He was circling away constantly. I mean, Edmund would have loved it. There was plenty of head movement there, but there were, there were no strikes. It made you wonder, like, is he waiting? Is he going to punt the first two rounds and then try to make this a three-round fight with Smith and take advantage of fatigue? I don't, you know, maybe he saw something in Smith getting dominated by John Jones for five rounds. Although Gustafson did have moments in round three where, like, at least he came back alive, let his hands go a little bit. Overall, man, he was just flat. So, Brandon, first off, for the health and safety of fighters, I don't care if he's 32 or 22, Gustafson getting ahead of this 
and saying, look, guys, I don't have it anymore. So in my hometown, I'm sorry, but I'm dropping these gloves and that's it. I'm done. You can do nothing but stand and applaud. This sport is brutal. There's there's rarely a happy ending in combat sports, right? Somebody going out on their own terms. For him to know he doesn't have it, doesn't have it as an elite and will just become a name and an opponent who gets knocked around, I applaud the crap out of him for doing this because rarely do people do this. I mean, we had the same conversation when Roy McDonald had that moment after his last uh, draw with John Fitch where it's like, man, uh, you shocked us, but don't fight if you don't feel it anymore. So I like that. With that said, though, He's 32. This is pretty damn shocking. I know he's been in wars. I know he's been stopped before. I, I know he's been had injury breaks, but sometimes those injury breaks kind of refresh you. You're not taking a ton of head damage. I just didn't see this coming. So it was it was fairly shocking in that regard. And like I cynically said off the start, if you go back to that John Jones fight, we saw a very flat Gustafson as well, who I know afterwards complained about a groin injury that limited his movement, but he had nothing that night either. He's been doing this for 12 years, man. Like that's, I think that's more of what it has to do with it. And that Anthony Smith came out after and said that he had a broken hand that he hit, that he injured in the first or second round. I don't remember when he said he did, but like, yeah, it's it's discouraging. But it's like at the same time, I'm glad if he feels like he can't compete that he's gonna say no. I don't, uh, no mas. Like I'm I'm done, you know. Because and the same the same can be said though because. Every time he faced elite competition, he lost. Yeah. Like, we can say that flatly, right? Like, he lost big fights to John Jones twice, Anthony Johnson, uh, Johnson, and Daniel Cormier. Yeah, well, like, Anthony Johnson stuck him in a locker and sent him to the deep, dark depths of locker room hell. I mean, but yeah, he was competitive in the other ones, for the most part, at least. Uh, I want to I pause, though. I want to get to his legacy in a second, but... It's a it's a good win. I know Anthony Smith was angry afterwards because like no one's talking about this as a good win for me. Everyone's just talking about Gustafson wanted it out. Well, dude, because that's what happened. But with that said, it is a big win for Anthony Smith because I criticized UFC coming in saying, why are you matching these two against each other right now when we have a horrifically thin division of some good prospects and the greatest fighter of all time at the top, John Jones? Why wouldn't you use Gustafson's name to try to put somebody else over? Why would you risk Anthony Smith getting back-to-back losses here and now we're like, the dude's got like 15 losses and he didn't do anything against John Jones. Maybe he sucks. No, this is a big win that puts kind of keeps him around. But with that said here, guys, uh, the story is Gustafson. The story is Gustafson's legacy. And you nailed it, Brando. He's going to go down as a bridesmaid, though. He's going to go down as an elite guy who was an elite guy for almost a full decade. And you give him that credit. But doesn't have a ton of glossy wins. I mean, is his... Decision win over Shogun or his knockout win over Glover Teixeira in 2016? Are those those in competition for his best win? It's it's tough to see a guy who was this talented, who came so close to winning the championship. And by the way, revisit his split decision loss to DC Daniel Cormier at UFC 192 for the title. One of the better five-round fights UFC's put on in the last decade. Of course, there's the classic against Jones in the first fight. But man, it's kind of a pre-title Bisping bridesmaid, right? Kind of a I mean, guy who got close but wasn't the real. I think his best win was Glover Teixeira two years ago, honestly. Like, the performance he put on in that fight was just insane. He hit Glover with four straight same-hand uppercuts. Like, who does that? You know? To me, like, he showed the full striking display that night where you could say, okay, Alexander Gustafson is still on the elite level 
He just beat a guy who at that point in time, I think, was top three in the division and was like very close to getting a title shot. I don't remember if that was before or after he got sent to the dark deeps of hell by Anthony Johnson as well. But it was after. he was it was after. OK, so he was still up in that top five because of how fluid 205 is at this point. But I just think I think Gustafson is going to go down as a bridesmaid. Like I said at the time on Saturday afternoon to me. He's now at this point top ten all time guys never to win to wear a belt in UFC. Oh, more than that, he's he's in the conversation. I mean, what are we talking about? Dan Henderson's got that with a bullet, but he's with the Joseph Benavides, is the Nate Diaz, the who else you want to name? Kenny Florian. Kenny Florian, I like that. I like Kenny Florian's name in there. Who is the I big just name we established? I don't know if he would be, but my point is, I don't think he's up in the top five. You know, like. I don't think he's better than those guys that you just named. Well, I'll disagree with you on this. And this is the point of why it's a bittersweet ending to his career now. It's not that you either have won a title or you didn't, and that decides whether you were, you know, good or great. I know in some cases it is. And if you didn't win a title, it's not the end of the world. A lot of great fighters didn't win a world title. But my point here is I felt he was great in terms of his ability. So it's sad for me to see him never have his moment. I mean, if we're talking about a Glover Teixeira knockout on a UFC fight night main event in Stockholm as maybe his best moment or beating old Shogun, it's like, that that's great. But I wish for a guy who was that good, was title material, pushed jo- prime John Jones. All right, cocaine John Jones. But prime cocaine John Jones to the limit, brother. I feel bad for him that he never had that moment, that he goes down in a sense that his legacy is more for look at what he established in Europe. He was one of those first sort of guys the UFC could put in a main event in Europe and know they can get a big crowd. But he's not much more than that. And Brandon, I think he's better than that legacy is my point. Here's my best comparison I can give you for that moment in particular that you're talking about where that you're saying that's probably his best fight ever. It was the first John Jones fight. To me, that is... The Chael Sonnen moment versus Anderson Silva the first time they fought. That was as good as it's going to get. I'm never going to see myself do as well as I did. I still lost the fight, and I'm never going to get back to that level. But, Brandon, gun to your head, Alexander Gustafson's a better fighter than Chael Sonnen in my eyes by far. I agree. Far. I agree. I agree. But I, I just don't think that that makes him a top five all-time non-champion. Like, at this point, right – we're like you said, it's not belt or belt or bust. Like he would be the silver medalist in this division over the last seven or eight years, right? You'd think so. Like he was always consistently two or three in the in the rankings. But I was I was just looking at that. So he has losses to Anthony Johnson, yep. Daniel Cormier, and John Jones. So he'd be four in that division. And Phil in Davis, the light heavyweight don't division. And Phil Davis, which was earlier on, but he's at He'd be four at best, you would say, in that light heavyweight division. And, like, it's a little tough for me to think, like, top ten to never win a title when he's fourth in that division in this time period. That was the only thing that was, like, was kind of poking at me with was that. But he also – he evolved his game once he got to that John Jones fight to the point where he wasn't just one thing, you know, like – we talk about that when GSP, when we talked about GSP's retirement, how he was the first complete mixed martial artist. Like 
Gustafson had a complete game at that point. He wasn't all wrestling based like DC was at that point. He wasn't a, a Deontay Wilder type like Anthony Johnson where he's just a power bomb throwing at you. You know, Gustafson had more things that he could do where he could get wins. And I just think he was at that point where if he fought Daniel Cormier before he fought John Jones in 2013, I think that's a better that's a more interesting fight than when he fought him in 2015. Interesting. Interesting. And I don't know how you couldn't put him in, though. Top five best to not win a title. All right. Go down your list. I feel like we're missing a giant name that we established. Uriah Faber. Oh, okay, Uriah Faber. All right. So, look, uh, Dan Henderson's got that category number one. Yep. I think he's on far on par with Uriah Faber. Uh, Faber was, was more critical to the sport from being the face of WEC and the face of the smaller weight classes. But on pure ability, I think Gustafson's as good or better than Faber. I think Gustafson as good or better than Joseph Benavidez than even a prime Nate Diaz. I think he's right there in that mix. I don't know how you can. Okay. I mean, that's we're really. Opinion. All right. That's fine. That's fine, bro. That's fine, wife. That's fine, brother. Oh. By the way, Twitter heating up right now about our <laughs> sparring match. Like, as we speak right now. And as we speak, I just got a DM from one of oh, our God. listeners, Lucky at bum underscore brain. I don't know if he meant for me to read this, so I won't read it word for word. But wise, let me just say. This guy does Muay Thai. He does boxing. He spars twice a week. He just beat in sparring a big, tall glass of milk like yourself and mm-hmm. said he's been watching your sparring videos that you're posting, and he's got plenty of tips for me if I plan on utilizing his services as a advisor, trainer. So, look, the people okay, have but spoken. how is he seeing these videos? I posted one video on Twitter. That's not the complete package. Oh, BC, I just found I'll an show article. Package, believe me. Yeah. BC, I just found an article from you from July 5th, 2017. Greatest UFC fighters of all time to never win a championship. Yes. Number five, Crow Cop. Number four, Vanderlei Silva. Number three, Uriah Faber. Number two, Antonio Nogueira. And Ooh. number one, Dan Henderson. Yeah, that's tough because Noguera won an interim title, and I hate when all those interim titles are floating. It was never the man. Yeah, I guess you're right. Okay, Brandon, when you add a couple more of those names, like Cyborg, no, like Noguera in there. What is that six on your list? No, Cyborg's but, at six? But Cyborg won. After that, after I wrote that. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, no, this this hasn't been updated. <laughs> no, no, I know it hasn't been updated. I forgot about that. Yeah. All right. Either whether, whether he fits in the five or not, he's in that ilk. So let's end that discussion. But, hey, Brandon, you see these tweets firing in? People are ready for this fight, okay? Matthew at F Boxing says, "You think BC has more stamina problems than AJ?" Whoa, whoa, bro, that's a little. Yes, bit I do. I 100 percent do. Maddie C at MGC Speak says, "Wise is AJ and Campbell is Ruiz, and we all know what happened there." Wise is going to find out. Quote that white guy. He hits hard. Yes, Wise. Yes, brother. All right. Listen, listen. I know that you meant went over this on your boxing pod, but you didn't really want to go over it here. But uh. Your stamina's got some questions, man. That's all I'm saying. Now, right now, yes, it's early. It's day one. Yeah. Okay? And how did that warm up go? That four minute warm up that we did. Very calculated move by the Wiley veteran BC there. All right, coming a little washy <laughs> with a pop belly, fresh off of thirty six chicken wings over my prior then, two meals, <laughs> and then spend that night after training drinking and eating more chicken. Yeah, wings. well, that is true. That is true. Look, you got it. You're only going to live once on this earth, wise. All right, so don't shoot the load too early in camp. Back to Stockholm. Uh, so, look, Gustafson, uh, John Jones tweeted out, congrats and all, but I don't believe you. I kind of agree with that. He's only 32. We've seen before guys take a year off, 
year and a half off. They rest their brain. They rest their mind. They rest their body from the grind that is training. Brando, you and I, well, not more you. I mean, you've been training, quote unquote, meaning you're in the best shape of your life and you've been in the gym. Which you get a feel for how taxing this is. This is these guys' life 24-7. They're always coming around the corner for another training camp. They're always getting ready for war. To step away from that, you get reinvigorated. I think we'll see Gustafson back. Uh, I mean, so just because you brought it up, I probably spend five or six days a week at the gym for about an hour, hour and a half. Wow, right? hashtag humble brag. Yeah, keep it coming. Yeah, no, you, you threw it out there, so I'm going to take it. Um, And I – I told you one day, I was like, my shoulders are just on fire right now. Like, I need to stop. I need to give myself a day to recover because it was just horrible. And I think that you're right in that. But at the same time, it's like, this is what they do. This is all they know. Like, I don't know what Gustafson's plans are outside of MMA. Like, if he has a business venture, maybe that's what he's thinking. Like, maybe he pulls, like, Rumble and just, hey – I can make money outside of this sport. I don't need to do this to make my money anymore. This is what I'm going to go do. But to go back to what you're saying about him taking time off, it's not like he's fighting consistently, BC. After he lost to Daniel Cormier in 2015, he didn't fight again for almost 12 months when he beat John Blachowicz in September of 2016. Then he fought Glover in May, which was another nine-month break. And then he didn't fight again until he fought Jones in last December. That was almost... 16 17 months like he's not fighting consistently yeah, at all he had, he had injury problems he had legit injury problems so i don't think i don't know if it's time off that's going to change his mind or not but i just don't think if we do see him it might be like a nate diaz situation where it's two or three years before we see him yeah in the yeah i'm just saying look the when you're only 32 the odds are that you're going to take some time off you're going to get the itch again and you're going to come back I'm not, I'm not saying I want him to, but it, I'd say I'd more lean on the yes, we'll see him again. In three years, he will be fighting at Bellator or whatever Scott Coker is calling his MMA product. Well, not if he's got fights left on his UFC deal. They do sort of stick that in there and make Does sure. he? I don't know his contract situation, but if he has time left on his UFC deal, that doesn't just disappear with a retirement. Because I feel like that might be playing into this as well. Maybe that was the last fight on his contract whatever his contract was, because we don't ever hear them renegotiating or anything. And maybe he wanted to go, like I said, go out in style at home in Sweden with his last fight on his contract. And when he lost, he was like, all right, I'm probably not going to get re-signed here. It's an interesting conspiracy theory. We know that Bellator is the South Florida of MMA. So there's a little bit of regeneration, getting that pool, get the vibes from the cocoon of the alien energy coming off of there. Suddenly you feel like you're taking TRT in your back, baby. We'll see what happens. If you're UFC, Brandon Wise, what do you do next with Anthony Smith? Oh, man. <laughs> it's like at this point, I don't know. Like I'm so happy for that guy because we, BCI and our buddy Jack, have just trashed this guy privately. Like We've kind of like he's become like a running joke because I just always get upset when he's fighting in like a main event or a co-main event because it's just like how did you get this shine off of beating like washed Shogun and washed Rashad Evans? Hall of Famer Rashad Evans. Thank you. Yes, keep going. Soon to be Hall of Famer. It's like you didn't really deserve it, but thank you for finally showing us that you might deserve it because he didn't look the part against John Jones. Nobody looks the part against John Jones. 
But thank you for showing up after you said that you probably weren't going to fight this soon after you fought John Jones and going into enemy territory where that crowd seemed hostile. Like they seemed all in on on Gustafson making that happen. And he put on the best performance we've seen so far. He looked complete. Like you said, you said Gustafson was looking for a way out. I think Anthony Smith laying on your back will do that to you when you're when you're holding him up up against the cage. That's why Gustafson went out. His legs just quit. He was doing he was stuck in a squat position with somebody on his back. So I think Anthony Smith. I don't know what he deserves next, honestly, because I don't know what the rest of 205 is anymore. But to me, I know you'll you'll love this because this would be a really weird fight for us to talk about. I was going to pitch that same fight. Bring it, brother. Johnny Walker Red. In in a lot of ways, Anthony Smith is the perfect gate test maker, gatekeeper, whatever. What I don't know, whatever you want to call it, there for Johnny Walker Red. It, it, you know, credible dude who can go rounds, who's tough in 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 Anthony Smith. But look, I still don't think he's a world beater. So I think that's the perfect matchup, but it really comes down to if you're the UFC, what do you want to do with Johnny Walker Red? Do you want to find out first if he's for real, or do you want to throw him to John Jones right away and take the gamble that Johnny Walker can do this circus crap on anyone at any time? Because... I mentioned it. Smith might be the test maker. Lomachenko is the test man. He's not the machine. He's the test maker. And that could be the perfect test maker, as Teddy would say. But uh, where do you think they go here? Because you got Johnny in the media saying, I'll fight John Jones. I may not be ready, but I'm going to take that chance. I'll fight John Jones now. Uh, I, man, don't waste it. Like, that's the pro- like, we've been talking about this for months now. Like, they're going to just chew up and spit out every top guy that they have coming up in this 205-pound division just because they have nothing else. So it's like, oh, John Jones wants to fight again? All right, we might as well use somebody else that's up there that could become a star for us at one day. No, let's let's let him build. Like, I would rather see him fight Anthony Smith, get his rep up a little bit, maybe make that a main, like one of these fight night main events where you can kind of sell Johnny Walker because no, still – like we know who he is because he's Johnny Weirdo and he does all this crazy antic stuff. But the general public doesn't know who he is. Put him in a main event on a fight night or in like Brazil. Put him on another Brazil card where he can get his showcase, you know? Like he needs something like that where people are actually able to talk about him before the night of the fight, where it's not him doing the worm and separating his shoulder that gets the <laughs> people's attention, you know? That's yeah, they, they have decisions it. to make at 205, and, and it goes back to the sort of constant thing I harp on that, like, hey, John Jones is the greatest of all time. He'll beat all these uh, 205 rising guys who haven't proven themselves yet, in my mind, by just systematically using his smarts and his length to sort of just break them down. Kind of do what Tyron Woodley's been doing in recent years before he lost his title to Usman. Just figure out how to disarm them and win, and my, my theory on that is – you'll stunt the growth of all these guys who potentially could have next at light heavyweight, make John Jones go to heavyweight to supplant his own legacy. He's already the goat, but he could build that foundation and that basement on the idea of being the goat by going up and winning the heavyweight championship and really fulfill his destiny. We've been talking about this for like a decade that more than that, that he might do that, that he should do that. So let's go. What are we doing here? Is it why does John Jones have this decision making ability? Let's make the third DC fight at heavyweight, bros. Let's just do it. 
just to go back to the Andy Ruiz like part of this, right, where it's like the shocking upset. Do we really want to live in a world where Johnny Walker knocks out John Jones oh, at the end it. of his light heavyweight run to become the champion? Like, I feel like that would blow up the UFC. It, it Well, it's great business if he did because you get a, a gigantic must-see rematch and you've built a marketable star in Johnny Weirdo, like without question. So, look, UFC has done some shamelessly knee-jerk re- decisions in the past. They go in this direction. It's sort of it's weird. It's like we're arguing. Hey, you want to give Johnny Walker his close up first? You want to put him in a fight night, like you mentioned, on a ESPN show to get people to know who he is? Yet they've already he's already built a highlight reel. Like he's already built the ultimate highlight reel of like leaping knee knockouts in the first five seconds of a fight, and then some weird dance over a fallen body. So it's it's interesting. That would be one of the more creative matchups you could make in the entire sport right now. John Jones, John Walker. I mean, so we just talked. We just talked you into it. Yeah, yeah, you did, because <laughs> it's because we. It's like you don't know, you don't know someone's ceiling when they're in this mode when they're just blowing people away, right? It was like MVP a couple fights ago. It's like what's the? It was the Vulcan thing before he fought DC. Yeah, well, right, and then he went to that nightclub and knocked that dude out, right? <laughs> but uh, Johnny Walker, for as much as I harp on his clown side. There's a spectacular side to him that you rarely see and you want to see if somebody can do that on the elite level. So he almost doesn't know fear. He doesn't know that you shouldn't do this against somebody like John Jones. So the idea of just giving him a chance to do that would be something spectacular. I'm bought in. Thank you much. Hey, what else you got for me from Stockholm? Because we saw people getting KO'd. We saw some pretty good stuff here. I was fairly entertained by this card top to bottom. Uh, we need to get to know Alexander Rakic, like today, the Austrian. Uh, I mean, do we, though? Because, like, this was Bro. the fourth straight time that we've seen Jimmy Manuel go out like this. And he went out of the sport along <laughs> with Alexander Gustafsson after this fight. And, by the way, Jimmy Manuel, shout out to him. Okay? He gave us he gave us brawls every time. He's either going to knock you out or get knocked out. He's an entertaining dude. was always a good soundbite. But this dude, Rakic... Unbeaten in the UFC, improves to four and zero since making his debut in 2017. Only loss was in his pro debut. He's showing us something, guys. That was a vicious knockout. I mean, the setup for the head kick was just crazy. Like it was the one-two push you back just enough to get full extension on that leg and send you to hell. And it wasn't even the head kick that did it. It was the bounce back off the canvas that did it because that was so violent and gruesome. Like I said, Jimmy Manuel, man, like I'm glad you decided. All right. It only took me four of these to realize I probably shouldn't keep doing this anymore because it became a trend to the point where it's like, yeah, I'm going to pick against Jimmy Manuel. What gives you any indication that this guy's not going to get knocked out right now? Yeah, I'm with you on that. Manuel closed his career with four straight defeats, three by vicious knockout. Had a, had a handful of other vicious knockouts in that run, including Anthony Joshua. I'm sorry, Anthony Johnson and Alexander Gustafson. Uh, I never knew he was born in the States, born in California. Spent time in Nigeria as a kid. Of course, we know him from London, but uh, he had a fun little run there. And he put over Radkich. On the way, oh, on the way out. So we're talking about trying to build more names at light heavyweight. Now we've got another guy to watch there. But that wasn't the only retirement, Gustafson or Manuel. There was a third one on this card. 
Frank Camacho defeats Nick Hine by second round TKO. And Nick Hine, at the age of 35, the German walks away. Uh, I never really got to know you, Nick Hine. I'm sorry, brother. That's three straight defeats, and it's over. You got any good Nick Hine stories you can share with me, Brando? No. We need to talk about your boy, uh, Stevie Ray, getting sent to hell, though. Wow, that's we like no, that's it. Sorry, Nick Hine, the sergeant. It's over. Okay, <laughs> sorry, bro. We had a good, we had a good time there. Uh yeah. You want to argue? Uh, one of the one of the best highlights of this night was Le- Leonardo Santos, the lightweight, one punch KO, the the counter right hand, the cross, sending Stevie Ray taking his whole soul away. Fun little bit of business right there. That's about all the people that move my needle on the show, though. All right. That's the it. one other part that we missed was Macklin. Am, am, oh God, Amir Connie, yeah, yeah. when he we he locked in a anaconda choke on Chris Fishgold and they started spinning like a clock. That, that was, was awesome. some. That I'd never seen that before in a fight that exaggerated. <laughs> You'd seen that move before, trying to regain your position, use your legs, but to chase each other. I mean, they're essentially <laughs> chasing each other to, as Amir Connie trying to add more leverage to the hold and Fishgold fighting him off. That was interesting. That was entertaining. Uh, we yeah. tease off the top plenty retirements. We had three from the Stockholm card alone, but the one that touched my heart the most is the former. In this corner, State of Combat MMA co-host, the former Strike Force Light Heavyweight Champion, the great King Mo Lawal, hanging it up. King Mo, my man, in my house. In my home. This is my home right here. This is American Top Team. Don't just don't disrespect me in my home. Uh, I love me some King Mo. 38 years old. It was time. We'd watched his run. Over the past couple of years, entering that Bellator Grand Prix, getting knocked out real quick by Ryan Bader. It led a three-fight losing streak on the way out. But King Mo was a personality at a real fertile time in MMA when Strikeforce was making some news. When, when they were on Showtime and CBS and he wore the crown to the cage, had a big run in Japan. Never, one of those rare guys that was a star in the sport but never had a UFC fight. Seems like a good time to get out. And Brando. You do some time at ATT down there. I love to see that he's already transitioning to what appears to be a full-time coaching role there. Yeah, he needed to, man. It was it was time. The the fighting in Risen was one thing, but like god, after he lost to Krokop in 2016 at open weight when Krokop was definitely like 270 and and Mo was probably 195. Uh, let me test Krokop's bloodstream. Thank you. Please. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. That was probably at the point where you're like, eh, it's probably time to get out. But he tried to give it a go with the tournament, like you said. And then he fought one more time in Risen earlier this year at light heavyweight again. And yeah, I mean, when you've been knocked out that many times, like I feel like there should be a rule in like commissions where if you get knocked out a certain amount of times, you can't be sanctioned anymore. Not uh, even that. What if it? What if it's something where it's Three straight knockouts. Hey, you're getting a six month, eight month suspension. Something like that, where it's if it's happening constantly, take a step back for a little bit, regain yourself, and come back in. Yeah, I mean, look, King Mo was had been stopped six times over a 31 fight career. Really, it was though four stoppages, three in his last five fights. So that was sort of eye opening. So he's going out at the right time. It's over. That seems to be smart for health purposes and all that. But uh, lovable guy. Love his personality. Love doing work with him. 
you go back, I mean, I remember being at ESPN and working there during the MMA Live days when the King would show up with the Strike Force belt. The guy walked in there in 2010 and beat Gegard Mousasi at Strike Force Nashville, winning that 205 title for Strike Force. Of course, he lost it when he was stopped just a couple months later against Javier Cavalcanti. And really, I thought the end of Prime King Mo came in those two fights with Emmanuel Newton and Bellator. You remember that? The king of the spinning back fist where King Mo was stopped twice in that Bellator tournament in the first time. Second time for the interim light heavyweight title. Both on spinning, or, I'm sorry, the first time on a spinning back fist. The second time against Newton, he lost the decision, but he got caught with the same move again. And of course, he had two fights with Rampage down the stretch. Was unable to win gold with Bellator, but had a fun run there. Always a big fan of him. Mikey Moe, you got any favorite King Moe moments? I don't, but I always loved watching him walk in here to do the podcast with you because every day he came in here with a big smile on his face and was always super nice to us in the newsroom here. So I, I guess him being an all-around good guy would be my favorite memory of him. King Moe's a tough son of a bitch. That guy's all right with me. Thank you, Chael. Can we get the long-awaited sparring match between King Moe and Rashad Evans now? Like, just... There's no damage involved. Like, they're going to wear headgear and everything. But I just want to see what that looks like between those two. Well, they are friends. Yeah. You know, just, hey, let's go Let's go right. jump in the cage today. All right. Maybe All they right. can be our co-feature. I can hook that up for you. I'll make a few calls. All right. We'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll build out this undercard. We're going to have to sell tickets. No. This, this is going to happen in a closed environment. All right. Oh, no cam. Are you going to do no cameras? I didn't say Because I feel that. like we do need the no, illegal no, the stream. Rules, the rules are UFC rules. Yes. We'll, we'll take the cameras and we'll use the video if we want. Exactly. <laughs> the cameras will <laughs> run, the but as the A-side, I will have control of the distribution, just like Connor did, of these these sparring videos and how this plays out. Uh, hey, we got a lot of business to come at you this show regarding UFC 238. Two big guests. Do you want to catch up on what we missed news-wise over the last two weeks? Be wise. Hit me with it. The biggest news that we missed was Chris Cyborg is coming back. And this might be her last UFC fight ever. Speak on that. Speak on she that is going to. She is going to face Felicia Spencer at UFC 240 in Edmonton at the end of July. Which, as Brett Akimoto keeps, has reported, is the last fight on her current deal with UFC. And rumors swirl everywhere on the internet these days that she's probably going to leave the company, that there's a reason that this is going to be a three-round fight and not a five-round fight as the co-main event in uh, Edmonton because they probably don't want to put the belt back on her, which is interesting given that Amanda Nunes keeps saying that she's going to fight Holly Holm this summer and then wants to do the Cyborg rematch. So I ask you... What the hell does this mean for the women's featherweight division? Yeah, it, it means nothing good long term. Um, a couple things here. One, I like this fight. I like that Felicia Spencer was bold enough after after submitting Megan Anderson in a fight that she really didn't have a lot of business on on the come in to win. A lot of people thought it was going to be an opportunity for Anderson to finally get a title shot. And Felicia wins it and kind of half calls out Cyborg and is like, I want everybody. And now they're giving her that chance. I mean, you know, you ask for it. You're getting the business. You're getting Cyborg. But we know Cyborg has been for a couple years now. I don't know if unhappy is the word, but really trying to use her name to get any opportunity. She's constantly tweeting at WWE. She's always sort of rumors. Would she go back to Bellator and kind of live her last MMA years there? Reunite with Scott Coker. It's interesting. 
UFC never really fully embraced her. We know their troubles in the past during the Rousey era. Um, if this is it for her, wow. I, you know, I didn't really think of it like that. I thought of this as a get well to then set up if Nunez gets by home or even if she doesn't at Bantamweight, you set up that big rematch. If Cyborg leaves, I think you see this division leaving because Brandon, it's been what? Since they've started this division, when did this division officially start? Wasn't it Holly Holm, Jermaine, me 2017? Was, was that last? I thought that was January 2018. No, it was, it was UFC 208. It was right? January 2017. We are two and a half years into this experiment, and you can go to UFC.com slash rankings right now, and they still don't have any rankings, which shows you a lot of things. This division did not need to be created. There's no depth to support it outside of sort of end of their run Bantamweights putting on extra weight to move up and use their name. So, Brandon, I would not be mad if Cyborg has other things she wants to do. If they fold up shop, Amanda Nunez still gets a Cyborg win, still gets the uh, the the recognition of Champ Champ, still gets, by the way, especially if she beats Holm, at 239, the idea of being the greatest of all time. And by the way, spoiler alert, we have one heck of a good sit-down with Amanda Nunez that we filmed recently coming your way ahead of 239. You're going to want to check out, talking about legacy and much, much more. But Brando, um, I hate this division. I, I'd almost argue more that we should keep flyweight and just dump featherweight because it's been a debacle since the beginning. I love that you keep calling it a division, though, when there's no actual rankings to said division. I think what you said to start that was the most key, though, that the relationship between Cyborg and UFC was so rocky to begin with that it, and it never got better. Dude, they made her cut to 140 because they didn't think that they could make a 145 division. They made her fight her first two fights with UFC at a catchweight of 140 because they weren't sure that this fight that she could sell or that she could be that they could make a division of 145ers for her, which, again, like you've said in the past. Don't go watch it, but go watch her trying to cut to 140 Ugh. and just watch the amount of pain that she was in trying to make that weight. It's incredible. Like, I think the biggest thing here is you get this fight done. If Cyborg wins, hey, that's great for her. It's another win on the resume, but I think she's leaving no matter what. But if Spencer wins, I do think that there is something a little bit interesting there where you can make a matchup with her and Nunez if Nunez beats Holly Holm, obviously even though both belts won't be online, but that's neither here nor there. I think that home that uh, Nunez versus Spencer is interesting just because you might not have been woke to Felicia Spencer, but she was the women's Invicta 145 champion. That's why the Megan Anderson fight was kind of important was because they were the last two people to hold the Invicta championship in that, in that organization. So she's not a nobody she's got skill. And, and like you said, you saw it against Megan Anderson, how good she can be. I think that this is a great matchup between the two of them where it's a clash of styles that might make a really good fight that might save the division if they're both good enough. And I think for Cyborg, she's been such an ambassador for the sport. I know there was that hiccup with the PED failure, but I mean, she was, you know, she destroyed the first star in female MMA history, Gina Carano. And by the way, go back to Carano Cyborg if you haven't seen it in Strikeforce. Not only is the fight really fun in hindsight, looking back. It was monumental at that time. I remember the build to that. It felt really big. So to see Cyborg finally get her UFC run and she won a championship, I feel great for her. Brandon, I feel so great for her that I'd like to be able to see her pick her spots the rest of her career. Meaning if she wants a women's boxing match 
and wants to go get creative and try to meet somebody at a certain weight and do something big, let her. If she wants a WWE run, if they'd take her, let her. If she wants Bellator, let her. If she wants to go to PFL and fight Kayla Harrison in some kind of passing of the torch type of deal to really bump up Kayla Harrison's star, let her. That's great for everyone. Cyborg deserves better than she got throughout most of her MMA career. I'd be more than happy if she walks away on her own terms. Yeah, I uh, literally in my G chat right now, I have you up there and it says Kayla Harrison. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, uh, have you been watching what she's done so far in PFL? A little bit, a little bit. So she her last fight with PFL, she went the distance in the first round of the whatever season. I don't know how to call to PFL stuff. But yeah, it was the first fight of that season for her and she wasn't able to finish her opponent. And she left the cage in tears because she put so much pressure on herself to finish every fight and to finish dominantly that I think her against somebody like Cyborg would just be incredible. And she even said when I talked to her a few years, like not a few years ago, a few months ago, that she felt that they were matching Amanda up with Cyborg to get rid of Cyborg. And she's not entirely wrong, seeing as now they still haven't renegotiated her contract and this appears to be the last time we're going to see her with UFC, at least on the outside. Very, very interesting. Uh, the, 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 the demonstrative nature in which Nunez finished Cyborg, I don't feel like it would be a crime if they didn't get a rematch. But if that was something Cyborg wanted, considering her greatness and that incredible run of not losing that she had, I would like to see that for the sport. I also would like to see that for the idea of Nunez as greatest of all time. Now, gun to my head, Nunez is the greatest of all time. Guys, she's finished everyone and sent people to retirement and, and was great. But wouldn't it look no doubt on her legacy and resume if she had beaten Cyborg twice? Not just once by knockout where you can try to say it was a fluke in the first minute they got into a brawl and Cyborg got tagged, but a chance to do it a second time. Imagine if Amanda walked away for good after that. Come on, come on. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, I think this is going to be some transition time for our champions in the women's divisions, except for maybe Jessica Andrade. Like, I think Nunez is on her way out. If Nina Ansaroff puts it together, she might take over that division for oh, a minute. Stop. Take over <laughs> that division? Come on. Well, I mean, that's your favorite division, not mine. Strawweights move my needle. Thank you. That's a, they're, they're great. They're great fighters, okay? They're, I wasn't really going anywhere else with that. Uh, wow. All right. Hey, what else we got in this news cycle here? A lot going on in the sport. Hit me with it. Um, just another fight announcement. We talked about one of these fights like two weeks ago, I think. But, oh, yeah. Andre Arlovsky versus Ben Rothwell, too, is official for UFC oh, San Antonio. It's going to be so great. 11-year rematch in the making. Um, but James Vick versus Dan Hooker. Give me that. Also on that card. Yes. Lightweight action. Okay. We know lightweight is the best and deepest division by far. I love this matchup considering how sort of freakishly tall and long both guys are. And considering both guys are kind of not that far removed from pretty disastrous losses. So this is sort of a recharge for the winner. Great matchmaking, Brando. They're both coming off of losses, I think, actually. And like, yeah, James Vick's got two in a row now, but the second one wasn't as bad. But he needs a win, and so does Dan Hooker after getting just destroyed by Edson Barbosa. Like that was a systematical beatdown by that he took. 
he they both need wins desperately and desperate people make for really good fights yeah desperate times brings out the best in all of us and by the way you and i were at att watching edson do a little shake off a little rust work those pads Imagine get imagine taking a kick from that dude. Pick your spot, no, right? You. you want it in no. the thigh, you want it in the in the gut. Like, come on, Big Mike, talk to me here. I mean, like, good <laughs> lord. Like, but like boxing with padded gloves is one thing. The idea of like how much would it cost for you to let Deontay Wilder knock you out? Well, first of all, zero, because I would never do that, because I would I love to retain my brain. But I'd rather do that than allow any of these savages to kick me so hard that my bones just snap. That is one of my biggest fears is like one of those rib shots, just like uh, a kick to the ribs. I feel like I might never get up again. I mean, that's the thing. Like, remember back in the day, the idea of a bar fight, like, look, I I don't, I don't fight. I'm not looking for, I'm looking for fights against Brandon Wise. I'm not looking for fights in real life, but look, when there's alcohol involved and you're bumping into people and you're grabbing a drink, you're always thinking, man, if it had to go down, what would I do? And you have sort of a working plan in your head and you're like, okay, what's worst case scenario, right? Take a couple shots to the face, maybe even get knocked out. That would suck. But then MMA happened and it sort of changed the game and it changed the idea because it used to be, well, I'm not going to mess with that dude. Like, oh, that dude looks like Mike Mormel. He'd probably kick my ass. But then MMA happened and anyone could be, could be trained in doing these things that'll snap your bones and choke you in a public bar. You don't talk about embarrassment. I'm, I'm not in for that. I feel like that's Mikey's weekends, though. He just goes out to the bars, you know. He has fun. He gets a little excited, and then he realizes, wait a minute, I don't know who I'm going to run into that might know UFC. There's a lot of gyms down here that I have to worry about fighters just randomly being at bars with me. So I just go into the corner, and I stay away from all that. I can't afford to wake up and find myself on World Star after getting knocked <laughs> yeah. out while I know, leaving it's, somewhere. Dude, this modern era is crazy. Like, because, yeah. I mean, you could be at an NFL game, right? And somebody like spills a beer on your girlfriend or whatever. And then like, there's certain things you have to do as a man. And then you get sent to hell and it's viral. And you got to just, I think we're at the point because of cell phone cams, you just have to avoid all interactions. Well, Brian, you know this the best. The fights are, are the place where the testosterone is the highest. I feel like every fight that I've went to, if I'm even looking in the wrong direction, someone's mean mugging me back. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. People, there's a lot of testosterone in those buildings when the fights are there. Yeah, oh no question about it. Uh, what else we got? Give me something here. Give me something with meat. I want to stick it in. Yoel Romero's whoa, whoa, rich. Oh wait a minute. Hey, easy, easy. We don't need to stick anything. Wow. Yoel Romero <laughs> is rich, or so we think. Well, well he won. <laughs> He won a $27 million lawsuit with a company that may or may not still be in business. Yeah. A company that didn't show up for any of the hearings or return phone calls and was just given the L. Um, Look, here's the deal. It was for that tainted supplement he took. It came at a point where everybody was like, oh, finally, this guy's not for real. He's a drug cheat. His body is a wonderland. He's in his late 30s, early 40s, and he's just jacked. He's just absurdly ripped. I like that he did this. That he spent the money, that he fought this in court, that he worked this hard to clear his name. Because at a certain level, the pride matters. And in reality, this changes nothing. And he may not get a dollar. And he said publicly, look, like, look, I don't care if I don't, it's not about that. But I like that he did this. I like that there's sort of messages being sent. He took a supplement that forced him to pop for something that's banned. That banned supplement wasn't written on the label. wasn't his fault. Yet for a while, publicly, he was that steroid cheat. He was that... What do they say? What's the 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 way they they manipulate his nickname? What do they say? 
son of steroids. Isn't that what they were calling him for a while? Oh, I don't even remember that. I think Bisping. I mean, he's the sol- He's a soldier of God. Soldier. Right? I'm sorry. Don't... Soldier of steroids is what they were calling him here. So okay. you know what, you old Romero. I've always loved you. Now I love you even more. I love you. See you soon. Thanks, brother. Good good for you. Good for you to clear that name. I love this freak. I hope he gets a chance to put that strap around his waist, Brando. And I thought he beat Whitaker in part two. Deal with that. Okay. I will deal with that. I, I just remembered what the meaty substance that you wanted that we didn't get the chance to get to yet was. Yeah, well, that was Nate Diaz. Deciding to do an interview yesterday with Ariel Hawani that just kind of fell out of the sky. And, you know, Nate is Nate. <laughs> I want to talk about this. This was this was good entertainment. I mean, it's great. to uh, Nate hadn't talked to anyone in years. Hadn't talked to Ariel in two years. And once you get past the early uh, early cringe that, <laughs> that sometimes an Ariel interview, especially a wild one, where he's trying to get Nate's attention for a while, you do get some interesting gold. Good Lord, this was this was fun stuff. I love the most out of this entire interview. Nate justifying why he's done with 155 and why he only wants to fight at 170 moving forward because he declares himself the champion because of these factors that all lead into his idea that nobody wants to fight him. A, he already beat Connor and got robbed in the rematch. B, he slapped Habib that time at that World Series of Fighting uh, fight and Habib and his boys didn't do anything back. Where I come from, you know, people like that get slapped. And C, he signed to fight Poirier at UFC 230 last year. Poirier couldn't handle the stuff Nate was doing on Twitter, Nate says, with tweeting out that he's accepted a 165 title fight. He says Nate jacked. I'm sorry, Dustin jacked without being injured. So he considers that a win. So he says, look, I'm the champion at 155. So I'm just going to move up to 70. And then when Ariel brought up names like Colby, and Usman, he's like, who? I know these new guys. What are these new guys thinking they're doing coming in there? This was great. Yeah, I mean, it's just so tough to get through those interviews sometimes just because he's so spacey. And you just never know exactly what he's talking about. He's much better <laughs> than Nick. What, Nick or is, what, he's on, what is on his mind. Nick's on another planet. At least Nate. See, here's what. Nick's on another planet. Nate, if you notice quickly in that interview, Brandon. Ariel would ask him a question, and he wouldn't answer it. But then, like a half hour later, in response to an unrelated question, he would answer the earlier question. It's bizarre, but it's interesting. Like they asked him um, about Anthony Pettis's beef, and for you know, for a couple of minutes, he's just like, "I ain't got no beef with Anthony. I don't know." And then, like an hour later, he's basically like, "Let me tell you this story about the time he got in Anthony's face at a fight. They almost fought, and that's why they have beef. It's just I don't, I don't know." I don't know what goes on in that brain, but I love it. Yeah, I mean, it, just him thinking that he's the champion of 155 is just like, okay, Nate, whatever you say, bud. You've you've only had a couple of chances at fighting for the belt there anyway, and you never won the belt, and you're actually 19 and 11 in your pro career. But sure, no, you're oh, the champion. No, don't whatever you, you say. Don't do that. Okay, uh, don't do that to him. First of all, don't do don't all do right, well, what. All right, let me ask you which side of the line you're on. Okay. Let's let's draw that line in the sand. Let's declare, as for me and my house, who I will serve here. Are you of the belief that UFC is right when they say for the past three years we can't deal with this guy? Every time we offer him a fight, he turns it down. Or are you of the idea what Nate says? I have never once turned down a fight in my entire life. Those guys are liars. 
We came close to signing Woodley and UFC pulled out. We came close to a four-man tournament involving GSP and Connor, and they pulled out. I signed against Dustin, and he pulled out. Which side are you on? There's no gray. It's all black or white, okay? I just want to let you know that. No, but that's not, that's not true. There is gray. In my hair, but I do color that out. <laughs> I'm talking about this situation. No, okay. But listening to him talk yesterday, did you get the feeling that he's all there when he's talking to the UFC and trying to make fights happen? Because to me, this is how a Nate negotiation goes. Hey, Nate, we want you to fight this guy. Who's that guy? I don't know him. I don't got beef with him. Come back to me when you got something else. And then a day later goes, oh, yeah, no, I want to fight that guy. Let's make that fight happen. And then two weeks later go, oh, wait, never mind. I don't want to fight that guy. I feel like that's how it is with talking to Nate because he's just not there. And the fact that he tries to represent himself in these situations, it's just like, dude, come on. Like, you need help here. You can't do this all by yourself. He's been in the UFC since 2007. So you would think that they know how to deal with him how to present the fight to him the right way. You would think that over the past 12 years, they've learned, hey, this is the right way to uh, approach Nate. But um, but they didn't even come to him with this fight. That's the thing. Nate and Anthony went to the UFC and wanted to make this fight happen. Nate UFC claims he wasn't also, even trying to deal with him. Nate's claims he got the Dustin fight that way too by calling Dustin and then calling the UFC and be like, we'll fight each other. What do you want to do? So... I, and the fact that he says he doesn't want to fight Connor again because he said he did you hear that by the way he said yeah, but I'm not he lost he he lost the fight but then he said that he won the fight all right I'm not against his reasoning sense. look it's first of all it's Nate Diaz number one two <laughs> we're talking about like you know what we're talking about here okay so but within the realm of Nate Diaz reasoning I actually support him basically he's saying now you finally talk about doing the Connor fight when he's coming off a loss. And I and I get that. And I know you could say, well, is it Nate coming but up? But that's not laws? true, though. But that's not true, though, because we talked about doing the rematch at the time. We did. UFC might not have, but everybody wanted to see the trilogy fight at some point in the last two years while we sat, saw you sitting on the sideline. Damn, Brandon's getting fired up. I thought you were about to drop a... <laughs> to this day! To this day! <laughs> to this day! Um, no, I don't not know. not that important. I back him in this. I, you know, I'm more of the belief now. Like, he went conspiracy, and he's like, I'm only coming back because I felt like UFC was trying to ice me on purpose. They don't want me to fight. They want me to stay away and, die, and basically get hurt and die, is what he said. And then he finally woke up to that, he says. Now, look, that's probably not true. He probably needs some money. There's probably a lot of factors coming in. But I do agree, Brandon, that it's more black and white than it is gray. I think UFC has never known how to deal with him. I feel personally like Dana has never liked him, doesn't care, doesn't want this guy to be a star because you would think they would have used Nate, Nate and Nick as much as possible to put over other people knowing that they're countercultural heroes. I know they're hard to deal with, but this is such a missed opportunity the last three years, especially coming off of two fights with Connor that both broke the pay-per-view record to not get these guys back in there. So it makes me believe that UFC is just sort of like, F it, I'm not dealing with them. I'm more of the belief that that Nate is he's crazy, but he's closer to the truth in this situation. Your thoughts? I agree with that. I agree that UFC probably got tired of having to deal with him because I think that you say that this is black and white. But at the same time, it's like after the Nate after the Connor fight, what was that? 2016. Yes. After that fight. UFC probably offered him a few fights, and he said, I want X money. There was and a while like, where he no. said he only wanted Connor, but now he, he he says that never happened. But he that's what UFC was saying. I only want Connor. Right. 
and that he wanted X amount of money to take those fights. And then the UFC wasn't going to give it to him. So the UFC probably kept bringing him fights and he kept saying no. And then it got to the point where they're like, all right, screw it. We're not offering you any more fights. So that's probably at like whatever point in time that is in the last two years or three years where UFC stopped offering him fights where he's like, well, UFC doesn't offer me any fights. Now I have to do this all myself. Okay. I think that's closer to the truth than what every like putting it on one or the other. All right. Then if there is a little gray in that, then it comes down to money. It comes down to them not recognizing that when you fight Connor twice and put on spectacular fights, you are a brand. Like you can't deny that. So I don't know if they've ever sent him real money. And I'm sure there's a Diaz side of it that like we're the biggest stars in the world. We should get paid fifty million. I know they probably think like that, but I, I just feel like UFC has dropped the ball consistently with them. At some point, you got to go, look, they're mercurial weirdos, but they move product and they're fun. Name the last DS fight that wasn't fun. Even when Nate, Nick is doing weird stuff against Andy, it's still kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. All I right. Agree. Great. That's good. Good talk. Good talk. Uh, <laughs> we we got to move into UFC 238. Anything else pressing that I need to, I need to speak on? Because I'll speak on it, brother. Well, just one little tidbit for your uh... – Strawweight division. Paige Van Sant is going to have another surgery on her arm. Yo, she's at flyweight, and, bro. We don't talk about her. All right, she's at flyweight. And she's also going to be opening up her gym as an ATT product on the West Coast in Portland. If it ain't FT, if it ain't Coconut Creek, it ain't <laughs> ATT. All right, first of all. Number two, did you purchase the Sports Illustrated with her in it? Just, just come clean to our listeners, all right? I did not. Thank you. I was hoping when she was teasing this that she was moving down to South Florida. That's what I was going <laughs> Mike's for. Mike's like, I could break that marriage up. Let me let me get in on that. He's going to have to fight Mr. Van Zandt to get to her. He will, though. I, I know Mikey's game. Not everything in Mikey's game works, but like DC. I could be fat. I could not have a six-pack, but my dick works. My dick works. There you have it. All right. Hey, uh, Jessica Andrade, by the way, speaking of uh, strawweights, the champion was robbed at gunpoint in Brazil. That was really, uh, really tough to see. Good thing I didn't take um, the poker, free trip. Poker Stars offered to fly me to Rio for that uh, UFC card when Nama Yunus got dropped on her head with uh, travel money and travel destiny. Yeah, that's I don't know. You know, the future of journalism might be just free trips. That might be the future of journalism one day. I'd love to be part of it. Sponsored content. Yes. All right. Oh, and Uriah Faber, the Hall of Famer. We know he's coming back. They have given him an opponent. Ricky Simone in a Sacramento co-main. You know my stance. We don't have time to go up and down the road with it. But old guys should be fighting old guys, in my mind, unless you're angling them toward a title shot. I feel like this is a waste. because if Ricky, Ricky Simone, Simone is going to destroy him. If Simone loses, you wasted him against old Faber. If Simone destroys him... I know you get the rub on Simone, but he doesn't need the Faber rub, right? He needs a top 10 contender rub. So, and to not make this the main event when you're going to make Jermaine Durandamy against Aspen Ladd the main event, which I know Ladd is a local product in Sacramento, but come on, UFC, what are you doing? And did you see they criticized Dana publicly and he was basically like, F you? Who criticized? Uh, somebody, like a fan criticized him and he said, then don't go. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great promotion. Love it. Yeah, all right. Yeah, that's it. I got nothing left for you. Let's move on. Chicago this weekend, UFC 238. Guys, love this card. Deep, deep card that we're going to get into. Before we do, though, let's hear from the guy in the main event. Let's start right off at the top. He's the flyweight champion of the world, the Olympic gold medalist, Henry Cejudo. He was a guest this week 
on Writer's Block on CBS Sports HQ with my main man, Billy Ryder, West Coast Billy Ryder, back on L.A. soil where he belongs. Had a few minutes to sit down with the champ who is moving up in weight to headline 238 in Chicago on Saturday. Coming your way, it's The Messenger. Enjoy. We're going to go right now to talk to Henry, the messenger. Cejudo, huge fight, UFC 238 coming up this weekend. And as you can see, that's what a champion looks like. That's what a belt looks like. Henry, looking good, man. Thanks for the background props. Uh, thanks and uh, thanks for being here. Yeah, belt, belt getting a little heavy. Had, had to hire somebody to uh, to lift it for me, man. It's hurting my back. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a gold problem. It looks- anyways. I love it. It looks good, dude. How um how you feeling? How how you doing? How's the training been different going up uh going up and wait for this fight? Oh god, it's it's been great. It's been great. I think my whole life I've been making 125 pounds since I've been in high school and it feels good to go to at 135 pounds. Um I'm feeling strong, I'm feeling ready. I can't I can't wait to get into Saturday night and uh and do what I do best, destroy, kill. Marlon Marais is the uh, is the challenger. A lot of people think he's a pretty impressive up and comer. When you look at him on tape, when you study what he does, you get ready to destroy in that octagon. What are the things you see and the things you want to do? Well, first and foremost, Marlon Marais he doesn't have a gold medal. I do. I'm the wrestler. I'm the champ. I have the belt. I have the medal. I'm ready. I studied this man. I knew that eventually we'd cross paths. It's been about. You know, it's been a great camp. I, I studied him. I studied all his fights from his from his losses to to now. So there's tendencies, there's patterns there, and the messenger will prevail, and that will be victorious Saturday night. Mariah says that your uh, your win against Dillashaw was a fluke. Do you just tune those things out because that's the nature of the game, or does that become some motivation, another reason to enact some punishment when you guys finally at UFC 238 this weekend come face to face in the octagon? Oh, absolutely! I think you hit the nail on the head when you said when you use the word punish because that's exactly what I do. And let me tell you something: I've been called a lot of nasty things in my life. May I share that with you? I've been called a gold digger. I've been called a son of a gold. I've been called an Olympic champion. I've been called a UFC champion. I've been called a snake killer. I've been called a mouse trap. I've been called the cringiest, uh, the king of cringe. I've been called the greatest combat athlete of all time. But nobody has ever called me the 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 word P. And uh, that's going to be pound for pound because on June eighth. I will be I will be the pound for pound king. Yeah, it's interesting. When did uh for you, when did a, a second UFC title, a second one of those belts that we can see behind you at a different weight class become the goal? Um I'm just uh, like I said, the the when I started in my beginning, the first thing that people call me is they call me a gold digger. That's all I am. I'm nothing I'm I'm nothing more than just a gold digger. I'm the biggest gold digger you will ever meet. So that's all it is. I have a UFC gold. I have a gold medal. I have a flyweight title that's made out of gold. And I'm going up because I want more gold. And after that, we're going to get some more gold. So I'm just a gold digger. That's it. Hey, hey, Henry, if there was gold in front of me, 
I would I would dig for it. I would dig for it with all with all my power too. I want to ask you about about that Olympic medal back in Beijing, and not even to compare, but just how does the the career high of an Olympic medal, a gold medal for your country, compare to the first time you become a UFC champion? Just in terms of those moments for you personally and professionally. First of all, let me say this: that winning the Olympic gold medal, I did that for you guys. I did that for my country. I was willing to lay my life on the line to win this Olympic gold medal for for you, for your family, for my family, for our country. So number one. Number two is when I was a kid, I was 17 years old. And I remember I wrote my goals down and that was to be an Olympic champion and that was to be a UFC champion. Ten years later, after I won it in 2008, I was 21 years old. At the age of 31, here in the City of Angels at the Staples Center, Henry Cejudo became the UFC champion of the world. So this is this is this is nothing more than me just dreaming big, sacrificing all, and now I'm able to enjoy the riches of of the gold of the of the success, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm as happy as could be. When you wrote down as a young man those life goals, anything else on the list besides the two that you've obviously accomplished? Well, my first one, actually, my first one is, uh, and that hasn't happened yet because I've sacrificed with this. That was to be the best father and the best husband that this world could ever ask for. So that's going to be my next punchline. Ladies, I'm single, trilingual, and boy, do I love to mingle. And did I mention I have an Olympic gold? And he has gold. So that's a... <laughs> it's a match.com win, ladies, to get get on there. All right, so so this weekend, what is the what does the victory look like? I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I got excited. <laughs> no, I, I got excited too. I didn't want to interrupt you. What is uh in no. the octagon for for those ladies who are really want to you know a little preview of what their you know one of their f- potential future husbands looks like what's uh what's the walk us through as best you can what victory actually looks like strategically and how long it takes on Saturday Oh I'm taking that I'm taking them out in the first minute that's all there is to it. the guy ain't making it out the first round I'm gonna tell you that right now tricks are for kids they call him the magic man tricks are for kids man it ain't for me the message is gonna come out this nickname's going to change from the messenger to triple C because I'm an Olympic champ, flagweight champion of the world, and soon to be bantamweight champion of the world. And that's it. And that's all there is to it. You guys stay tuned. Download that ESPN app because I'm about to make history. And new. And new! All right, I love it. Last one for you before we let you go. Uh, flyweight division, what does the future hold for that division, and how do you see your next six months, your next couple of years playing out professionally? The future of the weight division, I saved the division. I, I beat the greatest mixed martial arts of all time at Demetrius Johnson. I beat TJ Dillashaw on EPOs. I saved the division. Call me the, call me the flyweight savior because that's exactly what I did. So, Dana White, I hope you're watching this. Because you can put a sock in it, too. All right, love it. Henry, I'm not telling you how to, how to live your life, clearly. But when you get married, if maybe that young lady who becomes, the, you know, your future wife is, is watching this, by all means, we would happily accept a, an invitation to the wedding. Thank you for the time. Kick some ass on Saturday. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being here. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And just, and just to cover up on that, when I do get married... My wedding's going to be an all gold, man, so I'm excited for that.
All right, special thanks to Henry Cejudo. Special thanks to Bill Ryder. Check out his show weekdays on CBS Sports HQ, interviews with the top players in sports. Big fan of that guy myself. So while I'm happy, Brando, that we can drop a little Henry Cejudo magic on you, speaking of drawing the line in the sand, uh, Captain Cringe (laughs) needs to hit the showers. Like... This is like third-rate Colby Covington bad level stuff here. What the hell is going on? I get that Cejudo has a chance to be a marketable force as a good-looking Mexican-American, tough guy, world champion, could be a champ champ, even though he doesn't deserve it in this fight. We can get to that in a second. But this whole, I'm going to hire bodyguards, I'm going to pretend I'm a pro wrestler, it's the definition of cringe. It's bad. He didn't hire anybody. It was just his coaches. I mean, I I know you just don't like him at all. Like, you think this shtick is, like, washed beyond belief. But, I mean, if people like it and people think he's funny Who are when these he's people doing that it? like it? Who are these people? Do you remember what Joseph <laughs> Benavides said to him? I used to f*** guys like you in high school. <laughs> oh, wait. That was a little weird. Maybe we shouldn't play that sound anymore. Anyway, um, <laughs> my point is it's just – it's forced – do you know how you become a natural star? Like, Colby Covington has no other choice. He's doing the MAGA thing. He's doing the, I am going to scratch an itch on your arm, stick my finger in the hole, and spin it until you have to notice me. All right? Cejudo has all the other gifts to actually become a star on good merits alone. I'd rather him do a little Conor McGregor poor man and just be a tough guy talking trash than this fake crap. Uh, I mean, but he's not, I mean, he's just not like a vulgar person. So he's not going to be like Conor McGregor where he's going to like do whatever those kind of like stupid talking points. Like this is just, I feel like this is who he is. Honestly, like him beating Demetrius Johnson just kind of unleashed this person on the world where he's able to have this kind of confidence and feel whatever it is that he's able to just say these things with quote unquote bodyguards behind him where he can feel empowered to say whatever he wants. I, I I don't know. I, I don't like it either. I don't like it either. I know you hate this. I know you hate it. I don't like it either, but if there are people that he claims like it and that his followership has grown from it, then why are we set? Like, who are we to say that it's not fun? I feel like he could hit a different angle. I feel like there's a better angle for him to hit for him to promote himself because like you said, he can't talk like Connor like that. He doesn't have, he doesn't have that, but he is an Olympic gold medalist. Like he does have these other intangibles that, can make him the star that he should be. I just don't think this is the right path, the way the stuff he's doing. It, corny comes to mind. Yeah, I just cor- think corny. Corny is the best word. I want Super Sage Northcott. I think that boy's corny. I want a bunch of spikes out of his hair. Maybe we can get Mickey Gall chasing down Cejudo. Anyway, look, here's the fight. It's the main event. You can argue that Tony Ferguson, who's on this card and a non-title bout, is the biggest story of this card, is the fight people want to see the most on this card, and the real world should be main eventing this card but with that said, I'm torn on this fight, guys, because it's a great matchup. I, of course, want to see it. But not to beat an old drum again, on what planet, if you're going to keep the flyweight division around, which despite cutting Wilson Hayes the other day, it feels like they are, then why in the heck 
Does Cejudo deserve this title shot for the vacant one stripped from TJ Dillashaw, who was on drugs, to fight top contender Marlon Moraes when you have depth at Bantamweight right now? Defend this. Why does Cejudo deserve this unless outright you're saying we're trying to make him a star? I will only defend it by saying that they had him fight the Bantamweight champion at 125. So the plan was always going to be that he was going to fight TJ again later this year. And that when TJ got stripped and for all the EPO stuff that they had, they probably guaranteed Cejudo this fight. So Cejudo is going to get his chance to fight for the belt no matter what. And it just happens to be against Marlon Moraes. Is this an Ali Abdel Ali's thing? A what? Is this an Ali thing? Probably. The most connected manager in the game seems to get his fighters what they want. He's like becoming the Al Heyman of MMA, although he does interview. But he was. But to be fair, though, like Cejudo was in a place of power. Like he knocked out TJ Dillashaw okay. in 32 seconds. True. But a suck down TJ Dillashaw who made a really bad decision never should happen. How many times have the UFC taken people out of power positions? Tony Ferguson was once the interim champ. Colby Covington was once the interim champ. Nico Montano was once the champ. Jermaine Durandamy. Randy Couture. I understand. I understand. You know, you tell him, you go, hey, Henry. He thinks they might think they have a star. It used to mean something, Brandon, to to be a two-division champion. It used to be this exclusive club of BJ Penn and Randy Couture. And then Connor entered. And you're like, you damn right. Connor's this rocket ship, man. And then DC did it. We're like, this pads DC's resume. He's in the upper room. And then Mandy did it. She's the GOAT. It matters. I love it. Henry Cejudo's going to be a two-division champion? No! He could, guys, he beat a suck-down TJ by early knockout on a bad stoppage. And he won a decision against D- Demetrius Johnson that wasn't deserved, that was disputed, and Demetrius was hurt in two different body parts, and he didn't get an automatic rematch because the UFC hates him, and they traded him. This is a sketchy title reign. I... You hit the nail directly on the head. They are watering down the champ champ. Like, we had, what, two of them? You named it BJ Penn and Matt Hughes through the first 17-ish years of the sport, and now we have three through the past three years? Like, I feel like it's happening a lot. Some of the, I feel like some of these fighters are just getting that second title shot, and it's like, yo, clear out the division. Show, prove, John, like John Jones, prove that you're the greatest in that division. Yeah. And then go for that second shot. You're right. And I didn't even like TJ moving down and getting that chance. But at the time, it's like, well, at least, you know, TJ's 33. He's a two-time champion. He might be your greatest bantamweight of all time. He also might be on drugs. He is. He was. Okay? Brandon, you can't defend this side of it. Do you, are you just telling me to move on? Let's break this fight down. You can't defend this yes. side of it. Yes. 100%. Wow. I still would have liked to seen what Cejudo versus Dillashaw 135 looked like, though. Yeah. Because that, like that, that would kill your argument. Like, let's say that he would have done that to to Dillashaw at one thirty five. What would you have said then? Like, what if he knocked him out in thirty two seconds like that with a flash well, knockdown? I would need to see it first, but yeah, that's pretty damn impressive. All right, he'd be the real. Okay, he'd be the guy. But he would also, and he would already also be the champ, champ. Like, that's the thing. He might not have deserved that fight against Dillashaw, but he beat him. 
He beat the Bantamweight champion. Okay, but then what are you doing with the flyweight division? Like, take a crap or get off, all right? Just decide. I, no, I, I 100% agree with you on that. And I think this weekend is going to go a long way in showing us what they're going to do with it because they have like a bunch of Bantamweight fights on this card that are all important to what the title picture is going to look like over the next 12 months. So I think if if Cejudo loses this fight, we might see him fight one more time at flyweight, but then I think he moves up to, to bantamweight again. If he I just wins this see... fight, you have to end the division. But you have to end flyweight, right? If he wins the fight, they have to end flyweight, I think. But if he loses the fight, he goes back down one more time, fights Benavidez yes. for the belt. Yes. They do that like as a main event somewhere. And then that's probably it. All right. I, I, I don't I don't hit that, so to speak. This matchup, though, is a good one. Marlon Marais is ready. He's ready for his moment. The former World Series of Fighting champion was dominant. Of course, lost his UFC debut by split decision to a Sun Tso, Ran it back. Submitted him and destroyed him on one round in February. You look at that run. John Dodson. Aljo. Jimmy Rivera. And now a Sun Tso. He's ready. Tactically, though, how do you think these two match up? I think that I think Cejudo's wrestling is going to make this interesting. I think that Marlon's best way of winning is by keeping it on his feet with his his hand speed and his kicks because that's how he systematically destroyed the other guys in this division with like Jimmy Rivera and Alger, like you said, and then got a sunset to the ground and was able to submit him there. But I think if Cejudo takes this to the ground, this is going to be interesting. I want to see how he looks at 135 too. That's the other piece of this that I that we don't know yet because Cejudo is not a big guy anyway. You nailed it. Like he's, he's not a big flyweight. Yeah, <laughs> like he's not a big guy for flyweight even. So 135, what is he going to look like carrying an extra 10 pounds that he doesn't have to cut? I think that the best way for Cejudo to win, like I said, would be get this fight to the ground, use that extra 10 pounds to be powerful in using your transitions and your takedowns. And hopefully locking in a submission to end this fight quickly. Because if you keep the keep this on the feet with Marlon, I think Marlon destroys him. I'm with you on that. And I think there's question marks for Cejudo moving up. And also, look, Marlon's on a three-fight first-round finishing streak. Two yep. knockouts, one, one by knee, one by head kick, and then that brutal gu- guillotine choke on a sunset within the first couple minutes. Man, he's on quite a run here. He's rightfully the, the betting favorite in Vegas, slight favorite. I think it's his time, and it's weird to me that they're sacrificing Cejudo to get that, but there also could be creating a superstar in Cejudo if he becomes a champ champ and if people actually buy this fake shtick. And, you know, what I'm not against is what Cejudo brings to the table marketing-wise. He brings a lot. He does actually have an interesting personality. He's a cocky dude. It's just this fake stuff that turns me off when I feel like he already has what he needs. Good fighter. Gonna have to take this to the ground. Gonna have to be technical. Gonna have to be quick. But man, Marlon Marais is striking. It just doesn't look like he's gonna be denied right now. I think he's gonna finish this fight. I think he's gonna get a stoppage, a knockout, and it's gonna be his time. And even he has sort of done out-of-character trash talk in the build to this fight. But he's one of those fighters that seems so good, I don't even need him to talk. Just be the just be the Bantamweight King. I uh, it worries me the way Cejudo has used his striking over the past couple fights. I understand that he's getting more and more comfortable with it, but that kind of worries me going into this fight because, like you guys were saying, 
it could be one punch, one kick, and he could go out that quickly. So this is one of those fights where you want to see him go back to the wrestling and take him down and maybe grind out someone who hasn't been out of the first round in the past three fights, test that cardio, maybe drag him into the deeper waters a little bit. But if he wants to stand up, I do not see that ending well for Cejudo. Brandon, go on record now. (laughs) I want to see Marlon Moraes challenged. I would love to see Cejudo land something early where he's a little bit staggered and you're like, okay, let's see how he responds and how he's able to bounce back and and react to getting maybe not rocked, but at least landed clean where he's got to bounce back and, and, and rally. I hope that we get to see that, but I just don't like to me, when you told me that those odds were as low, as close as they were, I'm shocked. Like what is telling Vegas that, that Cejudo is this close to what Marais is when he's never fought at 135 in the, in the UFC, he's small as it is. And so, uh, and Marais is on this crazy run. Like what is, what is in Vegas that's telling them that Marais is only this, like a minus 130 favorite. Cause to me, Marais should be like minus 400. Like I have no belief in Henry Cejudo this week. I think wow. Marlon Marais finishes this fight in the first round. I think the run continues for him and it might not be good for UFC business, but dude, that guy, he deserves to finally get the recognition he deserved. He, he got when he was at world series of fighting and dominating the bantamweight division yes. because Bring I it. think he could have I thought he could have cleaned out the division on his own even like if TJ was still around if Dominic Cruz was still around if Co- if he ever fought Cody like I think he beats all of them Dear UFC I'm gonna smash your boy guys Yeah man it's Marlon <laughs> Marais's time he's here to take health I guarantee you I will take that belt from you and I will take your health Yes thank you Rory All right co-main event flyweight title on the line on the women's side. I love me some bullet Shevchenko taking on Jessica. I, it is a thin division. It's a, it's a division that they're trying to put some names together quick. They do have some young fighters. First title defense for Shevchenko coming off of that win over you on a young J check for the vacant strap in December. And I had me some bullet this past week, New York city rooftop of the CBS Broadcast Center in Midtown Manhattan. Let's throw to that sound now. It's bullet time. Enjoy. The Big Apple Manhattan behind us, standing here with the champ, UFC Women's Flyweight Champion Valentina Shevchenko. Just a few days out. That's, of course, Saturday, June 8th in Chicago against Jessica I. Life as a champion. How has it changed you, Valentina? Every, for me, it's everything the same because uh, this rhythm of the life, I used to do the same things. And of course, it's a little bit more like interview stuff, all kinds of things. But for me, number one is training and I do everything possible to complete my job and find the good time for the main time for the trainings. You're fresh off a breakthrough fight in December. You win the vacant championship over former champion Joanna Young Jacek. She moved up in weight. You had the rivalry with her in the past. Was the feeling any different than you thought to finally hear and the new to have that belt put around your waist? What was that like? You know, I was, um, before I started to compete in UFC, I already was 17 times world champion in Muay Thai, K1 and uh, mixed martial arts. So for me, it was, um, 
a little bit strange not to have this title again. That's why I was going to my goal. I was like uh, on, on my way to the belt. And finally, in December last year, I uh, received it. And I'm very happy. And I, now my goal is to hold it as long as I can. Well, let's talk about this division here at Flyweight. Your giant name. A lot of hungry names underneath, but maybe as not as much as you saw at Bantamweight in terms of depth. Is, is there enough talent in this division at Flyweight to keep you busy for a long time? Uh, you know, it is. It's a lot of talent in Flyweight division. Uh, the other thing is that now Bantamweight, we, could, we, could, we can see with a lot of history. It was first, even strawweights have much more history, more time in UFC. Now uh, Flyweight, it was like recently created, not so recently, but recently it started to move. And already we can see a lot of like very talented girls. And I think that in the future, Flyweight, it will be number one division in UFC. I'm sure you'll play a big role in that, and we'll get to your first title defense here. UFC 238, Jessica I seemed very cordial, very nice when this fight was announced, but since then, I've been following you both on social media. Things are heating up. What's going on between you and Jessica? I, you know, for me, it was, um, every time it was normal. Uh, even before we announced to fight each other, we was like, uh, um, saying hello to each other, even speak to words. And I was not, uh, I didn't have any intention to change something, but looks like Jessica had something other in mind. But, uh, whatever, I don't care if she feels it, uh, her um, ignorance things can help her in the fight she's so mistaken how are you when you break down mentally as a fighter do you like when there's tension between you and your opponent does that help you does it get you fired up I don't care. It's easier for me. It uh, doesn't affect me because I go into my goal to beat her up and I will do it I love it I love it they call you the bullet we know you've got the gun tattooed. It's been a calling card for you. Where did you get this nickname? Take me back on how this all started. Um, my coach, Pavel Fedotov, is whom I trained since very long years. Uh, I was five when I started to train with him. And he gave me this name, The Bullet. And, you know, it was uh, every time good for me. That's why I love this uh, uh, nickname and how it all together came in one. My passion for a shooting competition, for uh, gun culture, and, like... Uh, in my martial arts, the speed, the power, everything, it's like all matching, and I'm very happy with my name. You have such a cool backstory, being that you were born in the former Soviet Union in Kyrgyzstan, but sometimes you represent the country of Peru on your way to the octagon. Where did that connection start for you? Yeah, we lived in South America in Peru for eight years, and of course we compete for Peru, and it was very interesting years of of our life because it's different culture, totally totally different, and uh, I love this because I learned uh, so much about different countries, different nations, different world, and it's very nice to travel and meet different kind of people. So I'm very happy of single day of my life how it happened, and I still going for more. You're such a decorated martial artist overall. You mentioned not just in MMA, your backgrounds in Muay Thai, kickboxing, etc. When did it all start for you growing up in Kyrgyzstan? When did fighting become part of this day-to-day culture for you? I started when I said, uh, when I had five years old, as I said, and, uh, in my family, it's like tradition to be martial artist because our mom, uh, she's president of Kyrgyzstan Muay Thai Federation. Because of her, we, me and my sister, my older sister Antonina, she's also in UFC. She's even, uh, 11 time 
world champion. And because of her, because of our mom, we started our way in martial arts. So she's a sportsman. She has a Sir Dan Black belt in Taekwondo. And uh, I think uh, before I was born, everybody knows that I will do martial arts. In... There was pressure to get into the family business from the beginning? Uh, from the beginning, as a child, I didn't feel any pressure. Of course, it was like something interesting, something new, a lot of friends doing the same things as me. And uh, when I started, it was uh, all, uh, something like kind of a game. And we was playing, doing some exercises. It, it was fun. But when uh, the things going harder, you start to think, oh, it's going harder. And, um, you know, when I was maybe 11, 12, and I realized that this world, martial arts, it's exactly what I want to do in my life. You've taken it all the way to the top. You mentioned your sister, Antonina, had recently made her UFC deb- debut, has a couple fights under her belt. I know where I come from, Valentina, the older sibling. Doesn't matter how successful the younger one is, the older brother or sister always knows how to push those buttons and usually can win the fight. What's it like when you guys spar? Who comes out on top? Uh, you know, we are training for so long together. We are doing all our things together. And on our trainings, we every time trying to help each other. It's not about like who is better. No, it's about to support each other. And even uh, if she go hard, she knows it's good for me. Even I go hard, I know that in the fight, it's, it will be easier for her. That's why it's supporting each other and love to each other. I think it's for me number one. Sometimes we talk to brother combinations and boxing mixed martial arts they say we can spar together but not too much because sometimes the sibling rivalry you're saying there's nothing here you you guys could go full throttle if you need to yes but you know it's more uh without emotions we can uh, hit each other hard on the training we can do sparring but it's not like something crazy and you want to hit your opponent or something like this no like i said before it's everything going for good (laughs) you know you've mentioned your connection with the country of peru unfortunately Amid your rise in UFC in 2016, you were involved in what, what was a scary situation, a shooting while you were a patron inside a restaurant. How much do you think back on that and think of, unfortunately, what could have happened and you were lucky to survive that? I'm very happy that um, everything ended good. It's more important for me. And even like looking back, I didn't want to think what could happen because could happen anything. And I'm happy that my coach, Pavel, he's feeling good now and he's healthy and um, next to us, to my sister, to me. And we are doing our stuff together. We are uh, go- doing the same things we, we, what we were uh, like used to do together du- during our lives. And uh, this is for me more important. Family, friends connection and love to martial arts. When you go through an experience like that, that you didn't see coming, does it change you at all? Does it make you appreciate life any better? Did it change your mindset as a fighter? You know, I don't have to have some kind of things to appreciate my life because I was um, educated since, since like childhood to appreciate life. And of course, um, these things when happened, it start, it's make you think, but it doesn't mean that to appreciate you lie, your life, you have to live this kind of experience. You better don't live this kind of experience. Never. <laughs> You've proven whether it was your run at Bantamweight or now, of course, as the flyweight champion, you're such a tough out inside the cage. You can do so many different things. What do you think makes you special or unique as a fighter where outside of a couple losses, no one's been able to really solve you or, or finish you or handle you? 
Uh, more, I think it's uh, all about my experience because I'm so long in martial arts. I do it for so many years and I did like, uh, I compete in different martial arts. I know different style, different techniques. And of course, my coach, he's every time picking the best technique to put in me for my fights, to uh, adopt the number one techniques to help to win me the fight. And this is the most what I think because I'm not... Uh, for example, Muay Thai fighter or any fighter. I'm mixed martial arts fighter. I can use stand-up, I can wrestle, I can grapple, I can do everything. And this is combination. I think it's good for MMA. You're certainly right in the midst of the prime of your career. You just won a world title in the UFC. We established that. How much do you already think about the rest of your career, about legacy, about what you want to accomplish, what you want to leave behind and be remembered? You know, I just want to do my things. I just want to... Uh, Live every day and enjoy my things and do everything as best as I can. I don't want to think like for the future what I want to do to live or something like this. I just want to do everything as best as I can. All right, I like that. Well, speaking as best as you can, would the future be at flyweight in, in your mind for the rest of your career? Would it be the idea of maybe moving to different weight classes again? How much do you think about that? You never know what can happen in the future. Even tomorrow, we never know what can happen. So I cannot tell that for the rest of my career, I will fight 125 or some else. But I know for sure that I want to defend my belt in flyweight as long as I can. And as I said, every time in 135, I still have one unfinished business. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to bring that up. Your rival, the great champ champ herself, Amanda Nunez. I talked to her last week. I visited her in training camp. I said, look. I saw that interview where you said, I might think about cutting down to 125 and take Valentina's title. She said in the end, she tried it. It wasn't physically possible. When you heard those rumors, what were you thinking? I was thinking she's huge. She's big. But if she wants to try in 125, she can do it every time I'm here. I'm big. How much does it eat at you knowing you had two fights with her? Both were very close. That rematch for the Bantamweight title, a lot of people thought you won that. How often do you still think of the name Amanda Nunez when it comes to motivating yourself to keep moving forward? Um, I don't think, um, I don't have this kind of motivation. I don't need this kind of motivation because I motivate my, uh, myself by myself. And, um, of course there is like, um, She's in UFC. She's doing good things in UFC in her fights. And of course, everyone bringing up her name and asking in uh, my interviews about her. Uh, it's like part of the job. And uh, I still know that in the future, it's going to be, it's going to happen sometimes. But for now, I'm very focused in 125. Is it personal between the two of you? I'm not trying to stir the pot here, Valentina. But does it get personal between the two of you at all? Or is it just business? Um... You never know. It's so close coming to each other. Sometimes you think it's business, but then it's like going to in personal. So um, it's a uh, it's very good question. <laughs> well, I did want you to respond to one thing she said to me. I said, how much longer, Amanda, do you want to fight? She said, I got two fights I'm looking at. Holly Holm, which of course we'll see at 239, maybe a cyborg rematch. I said, what about Valentina at 135, the trilogy? She said, doesn't matter to me. Valentina had her chance. She didn't fight like a champion in the rematch. 
so she can't keep saying she won. How do you respond to that? She want to say she fought like a champion. What she want to say? And she know, you know, for me it's very every time funny. She don't want this fight happen because she knows she never won that fight, the last fight between us. Uh, she knows that I won, and if not this lucky. Lucky uh, take down what I started. It was not. Uh, it will be different situation. It will be different totally, and she will. Or she would lost her belt. So she know it clearly. That's why she don't have anything else just to say I'm not interested. <laughs> she did say she thought you ran in that rematch. That late takedown was a factor. But if you go back to your first meeting, UFC 196, a three round fight, it seemed like especially in that last round you had figured her out. Why are you the only one who seems to know? how to maybe exploit Amanda Nunez a little bit where she's been on such a dominant run, nobody else has come close. I, you know, I just can say it's all about experience because um, being smaller, much smaller than your opponents, you have to uh, find your right tactic against them. Because it's one thing, for example, now in 125, I feel that fighting in same size opponent, it's different things you have different power different like measurements and all like combining together but um fighting holly home nunis it was totally different because i knew they are heavier they are higher they had like longer arms and legs and i had to find something else and it's uh this thing has made me to think to be more um as just a fighter, to be a analyzing fighter and to find the right way to win the fight. And this is what we are doing during all my life, during all my career, trying to be the best. All right. Well, Amanda, I mentioned, has that big fight. UFC 239, July 6th. Holly Holm, the former champion. Got to put your analyst hat on here. Break down for us. You fought both. You defeated Holly. You came close against Amanda. Who wins that fight? Uh, you know, every time it's very difficult to say, to predict, because when two strong fighters fighting each other, it's everything can happen. It's as we see, like, uh, previous fight of, uh, girls. And everything can happen. But, uh, personally, me, I'm rooting for Holly Hall. <laughs> <laughs> One final question on Amanda. I don't want to beat this down, but a lot of people call her the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Some people say she's already there. Some people say she's got to beat Holly first. I asked her. She said, yes, I am the greatest. Your opinion on that statement? I don't like this kind of statements. And even, uh, like, people, even person, men's fighters, when they are, like, feeling they are did everything, like, uh, number one, and no one can beat them. I don't feel that it's good to say about yourself. If people like saying about yourself this kind of stuff, it's good. But it's personally me. It's like how I was educated. You just a fighter. You just do your fight to create your image, uh, to create your like personality, and do all things what you are enjoying. But to say like things like, oh, like this, it's not my style. I like that. I like that. Her style is all about business. You're going to have that that fight we mentioned, Jessica I, UFC 238. What can we expect that night in the cage? I did everything like in my training camp to put me in the top uh, like level on my preparation. And here I am feeling strong, feeling confident, and will do everything to finish fight sooner. I know Jessica, she's a good fighter. She is like uh, versatile and she has like stand up, ground game, whatever, but nothing can surprise me. I will do everything to be better than her. She's a renaissance woman, a decorated fighting champion, 
She's a good shooter, too. Also, there's the dancing element here. You got that great victory dance to close here. Can you train me a little bit? What am I missing here? How do you do that thing? Is that only for after victories? Uh, it's not. It's actually, it's very traditional dance, and everybody can dance and like uh, whenever. And, uh, for example, in Kyrgyzstan, in my country, it's, um, it's Russian dance. But even in Kyrgyzstan, everybody dances on every kind of celebration and wedding party and disco and everywhere. So we can do like few moves here, just easy one. Oh, here we go. One and two. Like one and two. And one and two. Just without like any jump. Without any jumping, okay. One and two. One and two. Just legs. One and two. And then we started to go in faster, faster, faster. You're exposing my lack of balance here, Valtina. <laughs> I love it. We'll find out at UFC 238 if the victory dance will be there. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Congratulations on all your success. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure, Mike. All right. Hey, guys. She brings it. I, I love me some Shevchenko, all right? She did, showed me some dance moves. Didn't reveal the midriff uh, firearm tattoo, of course, but uh, we had some good moments up there. And I just love her mental makeup, all business. I love when you ask her, you know, how does it feel to be a UFC champion? It's sort of like, I've been a champion before. <laughs> been a champion in kickboxing, been a champion in Muay Thai, been a champion in this, been a champion in that. This is what I do. You can't shake this woman, Brandon. She's like a Triple G, man. Like, she's, I must break you. Like, that's the kind of mentality she has at all times, and it's kind of scary. <laughs> she took the, when, yeah. Took the boogie woman she's, to the woodshed. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, so... Listen, I messaged you and uh, our buddy Jack over the weekend after I saw one of these promos for this fight. And I was like, somebody please talk me out of taking Jessica I this week because I got one of those weird like feelings like Jessica, I might do this kind of thing. You know, like she might have her Rocky moment this weekend against Shevchenko. And I need somebody still to talk me out of taking Jessica <laughs> I because I, I for some reason I'm going to pick her and I don't know why. All right, this is a bad move by you. By the way, you've been ahead of the game on certain things. There's been certain big upsets that five minutes before the bout, you would send me a message and go, I think this might happen. And I'm like, you're crazy, and it happens. But here's the deal. I is not getting this title shot in real life if this was a real division. She's 32 years old. She's been around for a while. Yes, she's on a three-fight win streak. We're talking about a split decision win over Kalindra Feria, a decision win over Jessica Rose Clark, and a split decision win over Caitlin Chukajin, and that's fresh off having lost four of her last five at Bantamweight. So, um, guys, she's not great. I love me some Jessica I because she's crazy, because she's fun on social media, and she's been amping it up lately, and you heard in that interview, she's kind of getting under Valentina's skin a bit. She's going to get destroyed. She's going to get mauled, brother. This is Valentina Shevchenko's time. She moved down to 25 after the politics of going two competitive fights with Nunez and not getting the nod in the second one. And I'll maintain I thought she won that close fight. But it's her time. She likes her odds better at this weight class. And she's as big as a minus 2,000 favorite on some books entering this fight. I understand that. I understand all of that. That doesn't change, like, my weird feeling. Like, to me, this is kind of like a Cejudo moment where – Cejudo wasn't looking like crazy impressive in his lead up to that Demetrius Johnson fight. He was just winning close fights, getting some decisions over some decent names, 
we don't really have a lot of names, like you said, in flyweight division right now. And to me, it's kind of prime for a surprise. You know, I that's the only that I have no no like statistical breakdown or like like game plan strategy that I think Jessica can use in this fight. I just for some reason I think she's gonna win. So that's all I got for you. you I are. think it's gonna be a weird fight. I think Jessica makes it really ugly really quickly, and that's the only way that she wins. And she wins a weird decision. And it's like a split decision win where we probably run this back later this year. Mike, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> I, I, he might he might just be stuck on that boxing match from this weekend. I'm looking at it right now. Amanda Nunez has been taking the distance. Me just guy. Uh, no, no, no. Amanda Nunez has been taking the distance two times since 2013. Both of those times were Shevchenko. Um, and Nunez is a is a not a. I want to be careful. I word it's not a big girl. No, but she's, she's a beast. Jacked. She's a she's beast. She's a beast. And for her to go up in weight and challenge Amanda like that, not at her natural weight, I feel 125 is more natural for her. I think we're going to see a Shevchenko that just comes out of the gates, puts on an absolute dominant performance, closes the cage door and says, who's next? Because I think she's really going to shine in this 125 division. I mean, she showed it with the Joanna win. And I think she's found the right spot. I would love to see her fight Nunez again eventually down the road. But I see her walking through Jessica I this weekend. Yes, you nailed it right there. Look, Valentina's game is complete. She's short and compact. Great counterpuncher. Great kicks. Solid on the ground. This is going to be a dominant victory. I like the talk, though, about Amanda Nunez. I relayed some of the comments to her that was said in that interview I tease that we will be seeing in the future here and I see Brandon popping there's breaking sorry, news I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry yeah they're breaking news uh Khabib versus Dustin Poirier is official for UFC 242 in Abu Dhabi on September 7th yeah I love it there I love it we, there we go it's officially signed according to the UFC's Twitter account you know how we get like yeah. those weird like oh hey the fight's been announced no they say it's been signed Dana announced it on Twitter I mean on, so on Sports Center so it 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 seems to be doubled down the fight we saw coming Poirier Nurmagomedov lightweight title unification Abu Dhabi hey hey UFC can we get some uh some some <laughs> strong media f- f- flight rates to make this happen there can we make this a, can you give can you give us a cheap on there because you got to see this fight excited about it all right we got to wrap through here though Shevchenko is going to blow her away. The comments, though, the war with Nunez, I get hot for this. I like this because I thought Chev beat her. So when we talk about the idea of Nunez as the greatest of all time, something I agree with, by the way, you do have to say, well, didn't Shevchenko figure her out at the end of the first fight? Just kind of ran out of time in that three-round bout at UFC 196. And didn't she show you in the second fight that she kind of solved the puzzle? Why is she the only one on this run of Nunez who can come close? Chev's like, no, she ain't the GOAT, brother. I love the feistiness in her voice. Brandon, I feel like I need to see a third one between them before Amanda walks away for good. Whether she fights Cyborg or not a second time. That's the kind of champ-champ fight to me that would make sense. Valentina is not in a deep division. Not a ton of names there. If Amanda announces that I got one more and I'm going away, it's got to be against Chev to remove all wrongs or any whispers that she ain't the goods. I can get down with that, especially... If the scenario plays out that we talked about before where Cyborg fights this last time in July and walks away from UFC or they just don't re-sign her, 
then let's say Amanda wins against Holly and Chev wins this weekend. Then you do that fight in November, maybe October, whatever. And you just make that a, a quote unquote super fight where you have the flyweight champion against the bantamweight champion at 135. Don't don't tell me that you're going to try and make Amanda cut to 125. Like no, we don't need no. that. Amanda told us she cannot do that. She tried though. Yeah. She tried, man. That's crazy that she tried. Ugh. Imagine being a triple champ. Wow. All right. <laughs> hey, let's go up and down this card. This lightweight bout. I said it off the top. Tony Ferguson coming back after personal issues, after blowing away Anthony Pettis in a war last summer, but then not getting the big fights, sorting out some stuff. Back with his wife. Back in the octagon. Quick turnaround for Cowboy. We already sort of set the stage in recent weeks on this show about how interesting this fight is. If Cerrone wins, probably getting a title shot. And who would have saw that coming as a way to close out his legacy? But for Ferguson, you are right back in the damn mix. You're probably getting the winner of Habib Dustin or maybe Connor next. It's going to be giant business ahead. What the hell does this fight look like? Because it's going to be savage. Yeah, I think that's the like. Have you noticed, by the way, that they've used this promo more than like the actual Cejudo Marais promo? Like, they've ma- they've deemed it the people's main event. Um, I just think that like this is the fight that should be the main event. Like, I don't need it to be five rounds, but I need this to be the last fight of the night. I agree. Like this, this deserves to be the last fight you see tonight. Like, it's going to be a war. And I love it. Like, like you said, perfect matchmaking from top to bottom. Like <laughs> I watched the, the, the UFC countdown this weekend and just looking at Tony and like his ridiculous movement in the octagon where apparently, by the way, that, that fight he had against Pettis in last October, where he did the flip after he almost got rocked. That wasn't the first time he's done that. He's gotten hit before and done a front flip, like to avoid getting hit anymore. Like, this is a thing he does because he's just so weird and so, like, awkward with everything that he does in the cage. So I think this could make so much business for the UFC that the lightweight division will be on fire no matter who wins this fight. Yeah, they because... got to get out of their own way, bro, on this idea. Because there's certain ways that they already sell their soul for big fights. Then why, why do you have to have a rule that champions have to go on last? This is a much more interesting fight than either of these two title bouts than most title bouts. It's great. And you don't need to put a fake interim title on it because there's already a fake one floating around. By the way, this would have been an interim title and probably in the main event if it wasn't for the fact that they already just did that. But the point is, this fight's great. There's a lot at stake. There's a lot of questions for Tony to answer. This is another crazy turnaround from Cowboy after violent five rounds of the Iaquinta. But like we established... Cowboy's trying to actually get out of that conversation of best fighters never to win a title. He's trying to finish all those records he has and add a title on top of it to secure his legacy. I give him that respect, but he's going to get stopped violently. Tony Ferguson is a different dude. And Brandon, I get the feeling that he's one of those guys where all this outside the cage stuff actually fuels him. All the hard luck of going through the knee injury, of having Habib pull out of that fight, of being so close to a title shot and never getting it, of winning an absurd 11 in a row. It's only making him stronger and more dangerous, even though he's 35 years old. I think he stops Cerrone, and I'm not convinced he doesn't end up as the lightweight champion in the end. Hmm. Who does he beat for the title then? 
it, Khabib? It, you know, it would be poetic if it was Habib if they finally made that fight. But, you know, certainly Connor being around complicates things. And certainly uh, Habib would have to get through Dustin in Abu Dhabi first. I my only skepticism with making this happen is, damn it, if that cowboy is not another dude like ever since he had. The, I know it's like cliche and like like storybook type stuff. But ever since he had his kid, he has been a different fighter. And he does not look like the same dude that we saw getting washed away at 170 last year and the year before. So I think he took this opportunity on 29 days notice because he might think he sees something. He might see something in Tony's game where he can expose it with his kicks and with his striking ability. And ever since he left, like I said the last time, ever since he left Jackson Wink, he's also been a different fighter where he's got his own camp now in Denver. So I am going to go out on a limb and take Cowboy by knocking him out, even though picking against Tony Ferguson has never worked out for me. I just think that Cowboy is going to pull something out of his hat where he's able to put away Tony Ferguson. See, I don't I don't see the logic in that unless you're leaning heavily on. I don't think Tony's the same. Tony's got a lot going on. Tony's this. Tony's older. Unless you have some weakness in Tony's game, I think even the best of Donald Cerrone. The, if you're telling me we're going to see the most focused, hungriest, best Cerrone ever on Saturday night, I still think he loses a violent three-round decision. I just think Cerrone is a very good fighter, but he was never great. Yes, he got the accumulation because he likes to fight active and often to get up on all these records. And he's a guy who, when he did take a loss, would come right back with three, four, five in a row. Credit to him. But he's never been great. And I think Tony Ferguson is great. And I think that's what's going to separate in this fight. And I think this guy's fueled to destroy. Mikey, you got anything? You got anything for me here? Uh, I can't bet against Tony Ferguson. It makes me a little nervous that he has two fights in the past three years, two and a half years. It, it makes me nervous, but... I don't think Cowboy will be the one to dethrone Ferguson. Very interesting stuff. Uh, Your boy, your son, Brandon, Peter Yan is back. This is why this is a loaded card, because I basically care about the first, probably the eight or nine most important fights on this card. And it's rare. It's rare lately that we don't just skip over and go, that one sucks. No, Jimmy Rivera against Peter Yan at Bantamweight. Rivera having lost that long win streak. We're kind of figuring out who he is. But it's Peter Yan who we want to find out how good or great he could potentially be. The destroyer, the killer from Russia, nicknamed No Mercy, the 26-year-old. Brandon, does he make that statement here that he's oh, the yeah. dude? That he's the dude. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I was joking this weekend that all of my quote-unquote boys, all of my large adult sons are all Eastern European, and I don't like what that says about me, but... Peter Yan is going to be the one who gets the belt first, I think. I think he's going to be the first of my boys who gets his chance at a belt because he is that good. Like, he is just a crazy strong wrestler who will brawl with you on the feet anyway because he can and he's that sh- that good. Jimmy Rivera, we talked about it before, as him being like kind of becoming a gatekeeper now at 135 where he's not – He's not as elite as we thought he was when he was 22 and 1 or whatever his record was before he got into the UFC. But he's still a good fighter. He gave Aljo a few problems, but he just didn't look right. And I think that this is going to be a chance for Peter Yan to showcase 
his full arsenal like he did against was it John Dodson in his last fight I think so yeah I just think this is going to be another chance for Peter Jan to show what he has to the rest of the world because this is his first true chance to showcase he's the third the fourth fight on a pay-per-view that's going to have some eyeballs on it you nailed it and Jimmy Rivera is that perfect gatekeeper ish opponent to find out is Peter Jan Habib light is this where we're going with this or is he a little bit more inclined on his feet to let those hands go I want to see him carve his own legacy and name here. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the comparison we've made, like, leading up with him in the UFC is that he's kind of a Khabib light, like a rugged Khabib, where he's not as well-rounded on the ground and everything, but he will brawl. He will do a lot more brawling than Khabib. So I hope we can see the full arsenal this weekend. All right, inject that one in my veins. Opening the main pay-per-view card is a heavyweight tussle tie to Ivasa against Blagoy Ivanov, and we have a tweet coming at us from at DHagerJ15, Dylan Hager, our boy. He says, Tuivasa being on Saturday's card has got me thinking. The loser of Wiseman versus BC should do a shoey. I mean, yes, I think you should definitely yeah. do a shoey after I, our fight. I will not sign on for anything involving really? that gross, ridiculous, let's all spit and piss in a shoe Wait and a fill minute. it with beer and yeah, no. No. You're supposed to be the one with the confidence here is the A side. You, I don't what, do gross not... stuff, bro. I don't I mean I'll I'll go to any of your local gas stations and eat everything on those grills there and the rollers there. I'll eat it all. But I don't do this level of gross stuff. So hey Tuivasa, you it's weirdo. A... No. All you Aussies, we got a lot of Aussie fans on the show. Thank you for listening. You're all a bunch of weirdos. Anyway, Dylan says, but seriously, how is Ty versus Blog Boy on the pay per view when Funkmaster versus Vote for Pedro and Tatiana Nina, our prelims, love the show. Boys, keep doing work. I will answer that for you, Dylan, because they need attractive bouts on the preliminary card that airs on ESPN to hook you into buying the pay-per-view card. And a fat guy heavyweight tussle like Tuivasa Ivanov is actually the perfect pay-per-view opener. So that answers that. Yeah. Pretty much. All right. Whoever wins that will still be fat and will love it. And we hope that Tai <laughs> Tuivasa, though, can bounce back. They gave him a step up. He stepped down. Blogoy is a tough dude. We know his story. Stabbed in shots of the heart and you're to blame, right? Overcome some serious stabbing. He's a he's an out in this division. But let's get to the preliminary main event. Women's strawweights, Tatiana Suarez, Nina Ansaroff. This fight matters. Brandon Strawweight division always delivers, and we've been saying since the tough days that Tatiana Suarez could have next. Finally, she's back in line, injury-free, grabbing Ws. This is in some weird way a number one contender's bout. The winner here could be in line for a title. And for Nina Ansarov, your girl, Mrs. Amanda Nunez, you had a great interview with her a couple months ago where she explained she didn't see this coming. She never really took it this serious to go for a title she's on the doorstep bro but holy crap she's got tatiana standing in front of her this is going to be like a legitimate title eliminator because both of them have the opportunity they have the skill level to be on the championship to be in a championship fight and i think that the odds makers are way off with their gauge here where they have tatiana's minus 1000 to plus 600 for nina because I was telling Mikey before we started recording, Nina was this before the Claudia fight too, right? Like she was a huge underdog in that fight. Like I don't what what about her game is making you counter out at this point where you're not at least giving her some respect? Like to me, 
flip what that is with the Marlon Moraes fight. Like, I don't understand how this isn't an even fight going in because no, both of them. even, bro. Even. It's all right. Not maybe not even, but it's closer to even than minus one thousand. All right, that a ten to one favorite. That seems extreme, but here's the theory behind that. Nina is solid, yet unspectacular. And we didn't think she'd beat Claudia, but she's solid enough and certainly living with Amanda Nunez and coaching each other and sparring at times with each other. That can't hurt. Wow, I just burped on the air. That can't hurt. (laughs) But ultimately, she's not spectacular. Tatiana Suarez is spectacular. She has that extra gear potential. She seems like she has it from the standpoint of being nasty in there, of being versatile, of being able to do some things on the ground and standing. She's never been beat. She finished Carla Esparza. She did some things so far. This is a giant test for her. But I think if you're an odds maker, you're saying this is the next champion. And Nina has a ceiling and we found it. Maybe. Maybe. I, I want to see what it looks like, though. I don't. Damn right. This is a great fight. I understand like that. But my point is more like you can say that if you're the odds maker, but. I you better hope that you're right putting that much money and that much that much lean on Tatiana because you're gonna lose a lot of money if Nina wins this fight. Mikey, what's I'm the line to... right now on Campbell Wise? What's the line? All right. <laughs> don't Ooh. don't go to Google looking for that. No, I was gonna tell you. I was looking up notable underdogs. Um Ronda Rousey was minus eleven hundred when she fought Holly Holm. Yep. So you have that. The line for you guys, Matt Sarah plus 850 when he fought George St. Pierre. He just called you Matt Sarah. No, 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 no. These are just down the list. <laughs> These are down the list. Uh, Dillashaw was plus 765 against Barrow. So I feel like this line is a little crazy. And, I mean, if I was in a state where gambling was legal, I might put a little money on Nina just because the line seems very inflated. You still didn't give him a line for our fight, though. Oh, I, we're going to drop that. We'll drop that next week. Uh, we'll get some research. We'll get some some of Vegas involved. Yes, we should bring on a, a professional odds maker and have them really handicap this. Actually, I know the guy we should get. All right. Anyway, moving forward here, uh, Tatiana's going to submit her, guys. It's going to be a breakthrough win. And then we're going to be talking about how her versus Andrade. Wow. Wow, right? Okay, they leave that there. Hey, this Bantamweight fight below that is great. Aljo, Aljamain Sterling versus Pedro Munoz. Munoz coming off, stopping Cody Garbrandt. Guys, I love this fight. I got bad feelings for Aljo, though, here. Am I wrong? Really? Yeah. I think I think we're going to see a complete fight, though, from Aljo. I think <laughs> you might hate him in his corner, but working with Ray Longo and Matt Serra, like, he just looks a lot better than he did before, like in his first couple of fights with UFC, so... I think this is going to be a really good close fight. I don't think Pedro – I think you're getting sucked into the fact that Pedro got like lured Cody into a brawl and knocked him out that way. He's not going to be able to do that with Aljo, and I think this is going to be a closer fight than that. That's interesting. The technique, the speed, all that could end up exposing him. It's going to be a good fight. want to see it. You know I love women's strawweights because they always deliver. Carolina Kovalkiewicz versus Alexa Grasso. like this fight a lot. For Carolina, does she have one more run in her, guys? Took in some hard-ass losses, especially Jessica Andrade sending her to hell. She's fresh off a decision loss to Michelle Waterson. She got, I mean, is the mountaintop when she pushed Ioana for five rounds at UFC 205, is she never going to be back there again? Yeah, I, I just don't see it. I think she's going to be a hang-around gatekeeper-type fighter for the division for the rest of her career. She's tough as balls, though. Agre- 33 agree with Brandon. years old. Uh, even Ricardo Lamas against Calvin 
I always get this guy's butchered. Calvin Qatar. Qatar at featherweight. Uh, violence. I got violence here as a prediction. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Uh, anything on that early prelims I should care about? I mean, Joanne Calderwood coming back. She's fighting uh, Caitlin Tuchigan, who we talked about a little bit earlier in the show. I love this card, man. I This is a hardcore fan card. There's not a ton of sexy names on it that are going to make the casual fans jump in. But this is a card for guys who grind through these pay-per-views. Like, yeah. all right, I got to watch this one. I got to watch. Oh, this is the one where you get rewarded for actually staying around and sticking through all those bad pay-per-views. I am with you on that. Hey, special shout out and thanks to Valentina Shevchenko and Henry Cejudo for joining us. Check out Bill Ryder's show each week on CBS Sports HQ. Check out our State of Combat Pro Wrestling Edition on Wednesdays, Boxing on Monday for your boy BC, for Brandon Wise, who's in the gym, for the great producer, Mikey Mile. We only have two words for you on the way out of here, right? Right? <laughs> right? We out. We out.